0: Tonight, in the cage, the WCW World Heavyweight title is on the line as Ric Flair challenges the champion, Macho Man Randy Savage. Anything goes, there must be a winner. Hulk Hogan steps into the cage against the Giant. The World Tag Team title is on the line as champions Sting and Lex Luger take on Harlem Heat with the Road Warriors meeting the winner. Johnny B. Vance puts up the TV title and the doll against Diamond Dallas Page at over $6 million. The former champion, One Man Gang, challenges Conan for the U.S. heavyweight title. It's a street fight in Pity City. The Nasty Boys face Public Enemy. And in a respect match with a leather strap, the Taskmaster meets Flyin' Brian. And now... Live from the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg, Florida, it's Super Brawl
1: Snacks. All I know is that if I'd been watching this at home, I'd have been absolutely all over this hotline with a, with a complete like a, like a rash. Matt, I suspect you're a bit too young for like hot premium rate hotlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suspect you are. Ben, did you ever used to indulge in a in a and I, I'm keeping this PG in a wrestling related <laughs> premium rate hotline.
2: <laughs> i i don't think i ever i think i only ever did ring one once i was probably about 10 11 and mm-hmm. it was the wwf hotline and okay. i think i did ring it once i, I do have a vague memory of, of having rung one once and then never doing it again because it was fucking shit it was like properly like <laughs> my memory of it was that it was basically it was just recordings obviously of course yeah. it, was. it was just recordings of things that people said and of course they really draw they used to really draw out the selection process for where you like dial one for this, dial two for this, because of course you're on the phone for longer. So yeah. they drew out the dial that bit. And then of course you get to the recording and the recording is the inane stuff that lasts like 10 minutes. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's obviously a complete ripoff. So
1: 98, 99, 2000, I was all over the PowerSam hotline. Wow. I can even remember the phone number. 09065 600. <laughs> 601 was pay-per-view results. Finn Martin, I can hear him in my ears now. And it got so bad. This is like an addiction because you basically phone up on a Tuesday and get the raw results because he would have had the internet because we didn't get Raw till Friday. So you had the internet and he got all the Raw results. And then there was like a Friday night one, which was news. And it was quite good to be fair. But it's, this got so bad, and I knew I was. Because the, the, I don't know what it is you get now, but the phone bill was quarterly. And I was like, I'm in so much trouble. So when I was about <laughs> 16 or 17, I intercepted the phone bill. I, might, yeah, I was going to say, my dad's not around anymore, so I, he, like, he doesn't know I did this and will never know because he won't be listening to this where he is. Um, but yeah, so I intercepted the phone bill and I wrote a letter to my dad. From BT, purporting to be from BT saying, We're <laughs> really sorry, we've not been able to itemise your phone bill this month because of an error, and I just had the front page which had the bill on it, it was really expensive. Because he used to phone the Fulham Club call as well. So I, he didn't know I didn't he didn't know it was completely attributed to me. So I got in some trouble, but not as much trouble as I would have done twice a <laughs> week, every week for three months. I remember even this is how sad I was with this PowerSam hotline. In 2001, we had the internet at home from like maybe autumn 2000, but you couldn't get the internet when you're out and about then, not like it is now. So after the Invasion pay-per-view, I went to a phone box on holiday in Bognor Regis with my first girlfriend. Great holiday, caravan. Um, Fantastic holiday, 10 out of 10. But yeah, I went to a a phone box and probably spent like £12 in pound coins to ring up the powers of hotline because I was desperate to find out what Finn Martin thought of the Invasion pay-per-view. What an absolute loser. Absolutely loser.
2: But there we go. Yeah, I loved a hotline. That's, That's brilliant. A, that is absolutely gold. Yeah, I, I, I did a couple of, I did a few podcasts with him five, six years ago now. And he, it might have been in his book, actually, that I read this, but he um he spoke about how those fucking things kept Paris having business for a number yeah. of years because it was just, it was such a money spinner. I'm Everyone was doing it at the time. I can't imagine though, Stephen, I can't imagine like ringing up a hotline to find out the raw results and whatnot like that period in particular i as i said absolutely lived and breathed re- wrestling yeah. Like anything i get my hand on i would watch i would read anything i could read but i didn't for a second consider <laughs> ringing a hotline down the with the
1: <laughs> i didn't do the raw one every week but the friday night news one i think it was friday i think it was i think it was tuesdays and fridays the friday night news one i did almost every week because that was always really good that was like I, I, again i don't know if we got the what you got the, the observer or it's just stuff that was online at that time but and it was good I, it like was straight into it, straight with like headlines and stuff. And I'd always start it. It was probably like three or four minutes, so four quid, done. It was just yeah, it was a bit of a. Eight o'clock on a Friday night, it was. Yeah, I didn't have anything better to do clearly. Yes, but there that we go. is
2: unbelievable. Yeah. Well, we've got we've got our little bit at the start of the show this week, so that's perfect. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and this week we step away from our Royal Rumble session for the past few weeks and step back into the always curious world of WCW with our review of Super Bowl 6. Joining me today is first of all Matthew Roberts.
3: Evening gentlemen.
2: And also we have back on the show Stephen from mid South Moon.
1: Great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me back. I thought it might be a one and done, but I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. Never,
2: never a one and done. <laughs> Funnily enough, I've, I've got my little script in front of me and I've just realised that I've, I've written your name as Stefan. Oh,
1: that's all right. I get that quite a lot, surprisingly. I, I think a lot of people aren't used to steam with an E, but I, like, that's... That's, that's you know, standard, I'm, isn't it? It's pretty, pretty standard, time. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty, so I get Stefan probably once a month. in very, you, A lot of Uber drivers, Stefan. So, yeah, that's a, I always <laughs> enjoy that.
2: We're also quite lucky to have um, Matt on the show today because earlier on today I checked in with him just to see, you know, you're right to be on the, you're right to be on the pod tonight, yeah, yeah. And then he said, "It's this show, right? I'm not going to tell you the name of the show because we're going to cover it in a few weeks time." But he said, "Oh, it's, it's this show, right?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> no, <laughs> Super Bowl six And he was like, "Oh my god!" So Matt, has, uh, I guess, has crammed it in this afternoon and watched Super Bowl six. So he's probably kind of like, I, I did it a couple of days ago. So I'm assuming Matt, you, you are like right in it, in your head is still like very very recent memory for you as
3: recent as finished
2: about who six minutes ago so oh, yeah wow. <laughs> the,
3: the pain is recent then for you
1: i've sent the wrong link to someone before and realized with about six hours to go that i've sent you the wrong episode of mid-south so apologies and i think i just go on my own on that one which is always that uh, always an interesting podcast and I'm me babbling away for I usually i do a watch along by myself for 45 minutes which is just terrible some of the worst podcasts in the history of podcasting <laughs> are my solo watch alongs So sorry, carry on.
2: No, that's amazing. Cause I I have done that myself. I've I've done pods on my own before, and oh man, they're hard as well. Like you you forget how how much energy goes into talking, and you have to fill every second of silence on your own. You get no breaks, and you, your your mouth dries. Your mouth dries out. You, you start to want to cough. You kind of like every oh you, you you get a headache. It's just mad. Oh, horrible that is.
1: It's even worse listening to it back as well if you if you dare to dare to do it.
2: So yeah, we're going to be looking at a a W W show today, and to be honest, I'm I'm quite relieved because the rumbles they just take so long and though we haven't recorded it as we're recording this one the final rumble episode is this year's rumble and there are two rumbles to cover so it's even more work it's just it just takes forever I remember last year we did the 2021 rumble it's our longest episode to date it was over three hours and we probably recorded for like three and a half nearly four hours I should imagine That's after the edit it was three hours so um yeah they, they they can be a bit of a battle today we're talking about Super Bowl six, but before we go into the talk about our expectations Expectations. I wanted to ask both of you, I mean, on this podcast, we've now covered, uh, must be about 13, 12 or 13 WCW shows. But I wanted to ask both of you your experiences of WCW. Stephen, let's start with you. What, what kind of, What's your history of WCW?
1: This is kind of crossing over into my expectations for this show. So this this is in a, in a bit of a weird spot. So this is just before, I think, Nitro started on TNT in the UK. Um, and it's just after, when the WWE Network came out, I watched the first probably 12 Nitro. So this is in between the bit that I'd seen and the bit that I hadn't seen. But back in 96, uh, I can't remember when Nitro went to two hours, but 96, we got um, we got Nitro before the NWA angle and all the way through until its conclusion in some form or fashion. So I probably watched WCW every week until around just after canadian stampede and i got back more back into wwf so that was the that was pretty much the only wrestling i was watching there apart from the odd um, WWF wf paper where then i kind of fell away from it really i did go to a couple of live shows here but were pretty wretched really so not not fond memories of those
2: <laughs> so you've got quite you quite almost this is a period that you know relatively well.
1: well that you say that but the nitros we only got an hour so there's loads of stuff that happened on, and I think it's I think it's probably around this time that they went to two hours, because maybe a little bit before actually, because that's when I stopped watching the network because the hour ones were so watchable. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there's lots of angles and stuff that took place that I just have got no idea about because they weren't in our and then that was ages that we got a condensed version of it as well. So yeah, and also we didn't we didn't get the pay-per-views either. So I didn't have, I didn't have Sky. So I think on Sky you got the pay-per-views on the German channel, but I had old old-fashioned cable, so I didn't have any access apart from looking at the results. On live TV teletext, which is how I found <laughs> out that Hulk Hogan had turned heel and joined the NWA, which I couldn't believe on Monday morning. I was eating my four slices of toast I used to used to have, then I could get away with uh, in whatever that was, '96. So that's how I found out. That's it, really. Yeah, that's my WCW.
2: That's amazing. And Matt, I'm assuming your experience of it is a little bit less familiar. It it is. This is almost all completely
3: new to me. I mean, I sort of started watching wrestling in 2001, literally at the end of WCW and the whole start of the invasion, which we won't go into because we all know how bad it sucked. But what i did find out over the years i mean you know between you know listening to podcasts you know reading you know magazines websites that type of thing learning loads about wcw i was always fascinated by it because from what i sort of heard read and all that it sounded fantastic and i always kept thinking particularly over the last few years when i've watched back like loads of documentaries on uh, the wwe network i keep thinking do you know what if it was still if it was still potentially around today or if i was you know a fan or you know back then I think I possibly would have preferred WCW. So it's interesting
2: for me. Well, I guess we'll put that to the test a little bit today with this, uh, this show and uh, what our thoughts are. So, you've uh, Stephen, you've already given some of your expectations. Was there anything else? on top of that or is that I just was quite much pumped so. for this I must
1: realize when, I, when I, and I watched this probably in about four sittings and I'll get on to I'll, I'll have to re-watch one match and I'll, I'll we'll probably come on to that later on Um, but I was quite pumped for this when I was watching the, the opening credits and stuff so yeah I was looking forward to it and Matt?
3: of all the people on the show that I've seen or the ones that I haven't the one that I was
2: most looking forward to
3: uh, was Randy Savage because I have very little experience of Randy Savage matches so that, that was probably at the top of my list
2: Good stuff. I was um I was I don't know why these WWE ones I always look forward to now. I mean I think it's just because I'm a lot less familiar with them. Some mm-hmm. of them I've seen and I know quite a lot about it. And you know, it's it's weird for me. I sometimes I feel like a bit of a fraud because so much of the wrestling fandom I've had is through reading stuff. So specifically what I remember from yeah, it must have been late ninety seven through to sort of two thousand two when I went to university. I religiously read all the wrestling magazines that I could get my hands on. And some of the power slams from that time I can still quote because I've read oh, some of yeah. them so many times like yeah. I literally had read them so many times so I feel like I know all of this period really from WSW last what, five years of WSW really well without actually really having seen very much of a percentage of what they put out like I, I don't think I've seen 10% of the Monday Nitros that they they did probably the same percentage of, of pay-per-views and yet I still feel like I know so much about it so it's kind of for me it's kind of like finally getting to see this stuff that i've always read about and of course i've had the chance to do that for years since the WWE network came out but just never taken the opportunity to do it. i think it's because it's such an overwhelmingly large amount of stuff that you're kind of like where do i start with it where, where where should i pick this up so for me doing it this way where we kind of randomly just jump in at a certain point it's quite exciting and it gives you the chance to see things you'll have never seen before and i and i kind of got this thing in the back of my mind where i know probably not everything will be great but there might be some real kind of gems, some hidden gems in there that, that perhaps we can unearth. So that, that's how I feel really about all of these WWE shows, and I felt that about this one too. And we haven't covered a Super Bowl before either, which is one of their bigger kind of events. Sort of, I would. I mean, it's difficult. WWE didn't quite have the same um, setup as WWF, but certainly if you were to talk about a Big Four, I think Super Bowl would be in the in the mix of that conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, because they are all kind of alternated from the WWF Big Four. Now, I suppose
3: this one yeah, and yeah yeah this is certainly one I'm glad you guys told me that because I did not pick up on that while watching the show
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I mean it doesn't it wasn't like a rule it wasn't like Wrestlemania SummerSlam Royal Rumble it was more like Survivor Series I think where you might be like you know people see it historically as significant and it probably if they are going to have a fourth really big show of the year it will be that one but it isn't necessarily a given that it would be they'd fill it with special matches so um, before we again one more thing before we go into the show itself it's been a little while since we made an appeal for our listeners to give us a rating or review on whatever apparatus they are using to listen to this pod so here it is if you haven't already please leave us five stars to show your appreciation four stars if you must i don't want to be too uh, you know too demanding but uh five stars would be lovely so um yeah so let's let's go into the show now i'm going to pick first the thing i want to talk about and it's not actually a specific match or an angle or anything specific about the show other than what it said to me about wcw's roster of the time i found this really interesting because this is sort of three, four months, five months, maybe before the formation of the NWO. It's a couple of months before Scott Hall starts turning up on television, on WCW television, I should say. And what struck me about this roster was that it was in absolute dire need of reinforcement. I'm looking through the roster and I'm like, first of all, the main event. So you've got Hogan, Randy Savage, Ric Flair. You've got the Giant. You've got Sting and Luger. And I'm thinking actually relatively large amount of top-tier stars, except they've all wrestled each other before. There, there are no real new combinations of those people at, at this point. You know, Sting and Luger effectively doing the same thing they were doing five years previous as a tag team. You've got Hogan and Savage back together as the Mega Powers, which they had done five years before in, in WWF. And not only that, Savage's main storyline is with Elizabeth, <laughs> once again. <clears throat> Flair, by the end of this show, is world champion again, a 13-time world champion. And in a, in a day and age when the world title didn't change hands every 5 minutes and there weren't two of them as well at the same time in the same company. So Flair had been doing the same thing effectively for the last goodness knows how long. Hogan was still Hokamaniac Hogan and was still doing the thing that he'd been doing for 14 years and trading off for that time. And the Giant was just a stand-in really for Andre in terms of his position to Hogan anyway. And by this point, there was no indication that he would be a long-term fixture. You know, he could have just as easily been similar to, say, Zeus, for example, who had been a headliner against Hogan in the late 80s, early 90s. There's no indication that he'd be a multi-decade face of pro wrestling. So the main event is sort of in desperate need of some refreshment, but there's nothing underneath that you think they can elevate. There's so, so little that they can elevate. So I'm looking through the undercard and like you've got the Nasty Boys on, on this show, for example. You've got people like One Man Gang, Legion of Doom, Arn Anderson, Kevin Sullivan. Like they're, they're just full of people who've been around for a very long time. The only people that I think are even potential people that you could elevate are Johnny B. Badd and Diamond Dallas Page. And one of them leaves WW within the next couple of months. Mm. So it just feels like a, a company with so so much of a need of replenishment uh, of recruitment and of course funnily enough that's exactly what they did so they went out and got spent big on scott hall and kevin nash they brought in all the luchadors they brought in loads of people as as part of their working relationship with new japan they really gave the first mainstream exposure in the u.s to the ray mysterios and eddie guerreros and all those kinds of guys chris jerichos of this world so they did then go on a really big recruitment Drive, but at this point, I was looking at the roster. And I'm like, God, what would I do with this roster? Mm. And I, I honestly don't know.
1: Sure, I think if I was having this, this conversation with my wife at dinner tonight, I said to her. I've got I'm going on the going I'm just guessing on this podcast tonight and we're doing this show um from WCW in the mid So she's only got some vague sort of knowledge of wrestling. Those you've been to come across remote with me. And I said, I just don't understand how anyone was watching this. And it's like in this day and age, all of us, when we finish this, could go and watch four or five different television shows you've got access to at the touch of a button that are all incredible and they're all like highly rated absolutely brilliant works of art. Whereas you go back to 96, which doesn't feel that long ago, though it is now as I'm getting older. And I just think, who was watching this? I mean, quick, you, you bought this pay per view. Like, how did you feel coming out of this arena when there's almost none, there's almost almost no good stuff on this whole show? And and, and as you say, like this this week to week television. I remember this just before Christmas. You had kind of Hogan. I think which he shaved his bit. There was an angle. there. someone shaved his beard off, and there was all this sort of stuff going. And you think I don't really get it. Like this is there's just such a lot of bad wrestling out there, and I just don't know how they how did this company become anything for any period of time when this is what they're presenting just before their one successful angle, really.
3: Do you know? I'm. I. I think I pretty much found my answer already, Ben. You know, when I said that, you know, it, I would probably have been more of a fan of WCW at the time. but This shows, and this sort of time scale not included. Um. I mean, I was definitely sort of, you know, thinking a couple of years after this. You know, you know, with your your Lucha Doors introduced, with your NWOs that type of thing. That de- that sort of era. This show, and you know, that this sort of era just it just seemed it just seemed really dull. It is probably the best way I can sort of describe it. Um. I mean, I. I don't know how old he was. Can anyone remember? Does anyone know how old uh, Diamond Dallas Page was around about this time? I
1: think he was about 40, wasn't he? Maybe
3: 41? Yeah. God, and the fact that, you know, he's one of the guys on the show, you think, hmm, maybe that's a guy I can go with next, and you know, he was in his 40s at the time. Mm. He's it's crazy
2: yeah I did I did overlook one other guy as well sorry who's in this show Booker T and actually when I thought about it and I looked at who when I saw the matches his contributions though they were relatively brief I thought were the most promising of any wrestler on on the roster but yeah overall I just I thought it's such a mismanaged roster I think that's the thing Mm. that gets to me most and it's funny I, I then thought about three years later so to your point Matt after they've they've had the sort of the three years that to follow this show theoretically the biggest three years of the company's history and in fact if you take Super Bowl from 1999 most of the the big times are are over by that point they're kind of right at the end of the of the actual peak of WCW and at that point three years later what they're left with is effectively these same people it really demonstrates how poorly managed this company was for even during its peak years so even Mm. though they've created Goldberg is a major star, and they've they've unearthed all these amazing talents underneath. On top, Super Bowl Nine, Hogan versus Ric Flair for the title, Mm. and so it just it felt so stark. You know, I was like, wow, you know, how do you? For me, of all the things that wrestling has to do, and and I accept really that wrestling to book a wrestling show and a a territory for any length of time is actually a real challenge because you're not just talking about trying to keep it fresh, trying to keep it interesting, engaging people in the characters, engaging people in the storylines you know creating angles that people can get themselves involved in but there's also that management of the roster that cycling through of new stars so that you can ensure that you're safe for the long term not just you know the immediate period but the first thing they should be worried about from my opinion is that management of roster to make sure they have got a pipeline of people that are coming up that are ready that if they need to can step into that top line WCW just got none of that right now in this period when we're watching.
1: Yeah I completely agree I think this is um we'll get on to this but there's some of the matches towards the end I think are, are victims of that the people are not with the baby faces in the way they need to be because they're pushing they're pushing people down people's throats that they don't they, though this was in Florida it wasn't necessarily a you know a real WCW stronghold but the reactions to Savage and Hogan were just not what they needed to be and actually Flair was barely booed in that match um, hmm. and actually there's that you know the reaction when he wins the title it's not booing and we're, we're so shocked at what happens here it's just It's just a kind of the crowd sort of murmuring away and they're somewhat into certain parts of it, but there's no real uh, sort of tension in terms of back and forth on who wins this match. So I thought the crowd was really, really strange for quite a lot of this.
2: Mm, it is a strange, it is a strange crowd, and there are there are some some strange reactions. So I think rather than kind of delve too much into the rest, of the show let's let's go to one of you guys with your kind of the thing you want to pull out. So Matt, let's go to you next. Other than well, probably the, the
3: top top uh, the sort of top two things that I really wanted to see. One, I just wanted to see how how Randy Savage was, how good how good he was at the time. So um, let, let's go with that. I mean, I've seen very very little of Randy Savage. I mean, I've seen a lot of clips. Um, I've seen some promos here and there over the years. So to, to be able to, you know, to see him do a full match for me w- was quite interesting. And. It, it did end up for me being probably one of the best things on the show as well. Um, I quite enjoyed Savage's performance in it. I'll be honest his whole, the, the way he does his promos it, is not necessarily for me. I, I know that era was kind of cartoony but it just comes off as a little bit too cartoony for me and you know considering that that match with Flair was meant to be for the world title, the one thing I was screaming for him to say which he eventually did in his promo before the start of the match was um, to mention it. You know he he was talking about Liz, talking about Freya, and I was thinking, this is for the world title, and he hasn't mentioned it. He eventually did, you know, in sort of a fleeting comment. But I just thought, well, what does that do for you know for your world title match? But it was good. It, it was it was definitely, like I said, probably one of the better things on the show.
2: I mean, it is worth saying that um, by this point, Vince had already decided that Savage wasn't part of his long-term plans so obviously the as you may know or may not matt the 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 thing that happened to him in wwf was they got to about 92 end of 92 and vince decided that he was going to go with a whole new generation of stars and effectively i think the idea was that savage his presence if he was a regular in the company would almost detract from that idea of this being the new generation um and so vince didn't really have any plans for him as an in-ring star other than the occasional kind of almost i guess the original part-timer was the idea he would be kind of like the guy Mm -hmm. coming for wrestle I only say that because I actually think that to judge Savage on this show at this time in his career, though Savage wasn't done by any means, he wasn't, he was past his prime, he was past his peak years. And so it's perhaps a little unfair to to just judge him on that show. And I think in the same way as it would be for his opponent on the night, Flair, because, again, he's past his prime he's past his peak he's no longer in those great years by this stage for me anyway it's, it's one of those weird ones where we've had a match between these two in WWF four years previous that was probably closer to their primes uh, and was by far a better match in my view and by this point they've already wrestled a number of times in WWE as well they're going through the motions with the whole Elizabeth kind of storyline again Ric Flair claiming that she's she wants to be with him rather than Savage and uh, so it just feels like a retread but a retread four years Later where they're four years older and less capable.
1: Yeah, and the crowd isn't with Savage particularly. I mean, they're not booing him. Savage was one of my early favourites. i when I first started watching, he was in his Macho King run. Um, but I got the tapes for the um for the original mega powers stuff. And that was like the whole him and Elizabeth thing was such, was such a big thing when I was growing up, and they got back together and the marriage and all that sort of stuff, unfortunately, thereafter wasn't quite so good. But yeah, I think he's just he's just miscast. But going back to him in WWF, I think it's interesting because Vince I don't know how old Vince would have been then probably late 40s maybe 50 around that sort of time maybe late 40s actually but he as Vince has got older and I'm like this I remember when Hogan was in in the WWF run in 93 I would have been maybe 11 or 12 but I remember thinking this guy's too old I mean, come on it was 39 against Joe Cozuna and, and when I thought it was really really old I'm older than that now I don't feel like particularly old but now I look at a CM Punk who's I don't know what he's 42, 43 Danielson's around that age I don't see them as particularly old so Vince now whatever he is in his 70s when you've got AJ Styles who's 45, 46 I just don't think it and Lesnar's in his 40s as well there's a few other examples of it I think that, that's that's Vince getting older and seeing age in a slightly different way isn't it but Sa- Savage had ha- Savage had some had some, had some juice there. I think certainly a lot more than Hogan did Really. Um, though Hogan, they got a lot out of Hogan as a heel, but. Perhaps that heel run should have been... Imagine what they could have done with Hogan in the WF if they got a heel in, what, 93 against Bret Hart. I think they could have they could have been onto a... You know, they could have done a year-long programme with those two, but I guess Hogan wasn't ready to do it, was he, at that point?
2: No, he, he had to hear what he hears during the show, and we'll get to yes, that in a bit. yeah. In terms of the Savage and Fair stuff, um, you know, I think... Oh, actually, what I was going to say, in, in terms of the age stuff you were talking about as well, I think you're right in that as you get older, you don't see people as being as old. But I also think when we've we've discussed this a number of times in the pod, as times move forward, actually, people aren't aging as fast. So I think Flair here is sort of late, 46, 47 ish, I think, at this point. And I think, look at AJ Styles and you're like, he's not declined. Do you no, know what I mean? His performance yeah. level hasn't, CM Punk hasn't declined at in, in, in 42 in the same way as maybe, I don't know, Savage maybe did at that sort of age. You know, he's they're just not declining as fast. And that's due to a number of things. First of all, conditioning, just in general, better training. Treating treatment of injuries and and whatnot. I think also. How do I put this? All of pop culture has got a longer memory because of the widespread availability of footage. Mm. So I've always make this comparison, but I find it fascinating. If you go back to 1993 Rumble, for example, actually, this is a good, a good example. Bob Backlund is in the 1993 Royal Rumble. He's the third, I think, third man into the ring, possibly maybe even the first. I can't remember anyway. He's one of the early entrants. And he lasts to the final three. And at the beginning of that match, nobody has a clue who he is. No, no one has a single clue. By the end, they're cheering him. But the point is, mm. they didn't have a clue when he starts the match. This is a guy who, 10 years previous, was the biggest star in their company and yeah. the world champion. Now, do that now and you have like, a surprise entrant who, 10 years ago, was world champion and you haven't seen him in the company since. It's huge. It's the biggest thing ever. But back then, they had no clue. Now, I think that's partially because they had an entirely refreshed audience, an entirely new audience, than the audience they'd had in 1983. And wrestling does have this sort of cutoff. I think, at about 1985, where people are kind of quite au fait with everything that has taken place after that point. Before that, it's almost like the Dark Ages. Like, even you though there's still get loads of, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you so you yeah,
1: back then you couldn't get any of it. And I think that, that feeds into it, doesn't
2: it? I think partially, again, because Vince was trying to create the vision and the image, sorry, of a of a youthful and exciting company, and so that there are people like Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine and Tito Santana and various others from that like late 80s, early 90s period who'd been wrestling for the company for years. Like Ken Patera was wrestling in the uh, mid 70s for the WWF, but they felt like they were just of the time in the late 80s, early 90s because that's the way Vince wanted to present it, because he wanted to like almost siphon off the stuff for 485 and make it as if it was a different company. So I think that's another part. Part of it is that, you you know, if you went away for a long time and came back in your 40s, it was seen as such a big deal. Whereas now, because we have that memory and we're like, oh, Edge coming back as he did two years ago at the Rumble, you know, it was such a great thing because you're like, well, he could probably still go. And so many people know who he is. But if you transport that back to the 90s, the early 90s, you have no clue. You'd have no clue who they were. So I think that's part of it as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, And then, of course, the end of this match, so Randy Savage and Ric Flair, their match uh, ends up going for about 19 minutes. And the end comes when effectively, so Ric Flair's got woman with him, and uh, Randy Savage has got Elizabeth with him and a uh, woman goes to throw some, um, some mystical powder. We don't know what the powder was, but she goes to throw some mystical powder into the eyes of Randy Savage. Savage manages to avoid that. But in the meantime, whilst the referee is kind of distracted by all that going on, Elizabeth hands Randy Savage, Savage, sorry, he, she hands Flair the high heel shoe, I should say. And she, and he, and he hits Savage with the shoe and then pins Savage to win the title. Um, so Elizabeth turns on Flair at the conclusion no, on Savage at, the conclusion this match god one day i'm gonna get the names of Randy savage and rick flair the right, right, right <laughs> way out. what did you make of the turn
1: so i'll just i'm just to preface this with something so i i watched this match first of all for the first time after i had quite a heavy lunch <laughs> so I did some notes but then I thought I've really got to watch this again and I hadn't watched the main event so I've made two sets of notes on this uh, on this match one Wild Liberated, one Stone Cold Sober Amazing. And the, the, the Stone Cold Sober version was I did enjoy the match a bit better but I just didn't like the Elizabeth stuff at all I'm like they've moved we've moved on most people know they're divorced I think they even said it on Don't television they divorced didn't they so it's just like I didn't really like it I, I didn't I didn't like quite a lot of this stuff Savages Pomp and Circumstance Electronic and all that sort of stuff and i just thought how hard was that shoe i mean why is that shoe knocking you out i mean i just didn't i just didn't really like it and i just thought the match in of itself i've seen you know we've seen a number of flair and savage matches um the wrestlemania 8 one was really really good and i just kind of thought they were going through the motions a bit and again as we talked about the crowd wasn't into uh savage in a big baby face way and they weren't anti flair and it just, and, and the biggest reaction was Flair's horrid old arse being uh, revealed a couple of times, wasn't it? So I'm just like, I just didn't, I feel like Flair had that a bit later in his career. Like whether he was, especially in w, his last WF run, his WF run at the end, whether it was a heel or a face, he got the same reaction. It's just like, he's just this legend coming out. So we're going to give him a bit of a cheer and do a few woos. And I just, yeah, this just wasn't wasn't for me really. I, I was a bit disappointed with this overall.
2: When you were talking there about uh, Rick Flair getting his ass out, Matt was licking his lips. He was just, yeah, he absolutely <laughs> loved that bit. He did. I was just they, they
1: erupted for that arse the first time, didn't they? <laughs> but like May Young on the last one. I was like, I don't understand.
3: I, I just had a big sigh when that. I, I just thought, oh, do you know what? you, you know, you're in your forties and you know, your you your forties, your fifties, you're getting your your old man ass out on national TV across the world. I'm like, come on. I, I, I just pitied him at that point. But anyway, um, as far as the finish goes, yeah, I, I kind of felt that the finish was really weak. I, I wasn't sure. In terms of the shoe, I wasn't sure if there was, you know, they, they kind of use it to, to hit him as a weapon or the poking him in the eye with the heel, I mean that that kind of felt like, okay, if they're going to poke him in the eye with the heel, I can kind of understand that, that would hurt you know, but if it was just a, the flat part, I was like, okay, well that's crap isn't it, but the, the powder thing at first, I, I did have to kind of rewind and watch that back, because I was thinking, did he mean to drop? You know, was that meant was he meant to avoid the powder? Because it just looked like it was a huge botch and I was like, oh, that's, that's not good so I did have to rewatch that just to double check it does seem, I'm assuming that what they were going for
1: I think so so it led to
3: Elizabeth yeah yeah that's yeah that's probably what led to the distraction I'm guessing that's that's what they were going for um I I I certainly knew how beloved Liz was at the time um so it it was interesting to see the heel turn it didn't really affect me or bother me that much because like I said I I haven't really seen that much of her but it potentially
2: would have been a big deal at the time was it seen you know was it seen as a big deal at the time guys I don't think it was I mean I don't know this was not you know, I wasn't watching WCW, I was reading about it, but I don't think it was seen that mu- as that much of a big deal. I may be wrong.
1: No, I don't think she was with him for too long. If if I had to, I don't. So Savage was in the main of uh, title match at Starcade, I believe. It's like some weird like you have to. Yeah, they've got a match versus someone in New Japan. Then he had, a, I think he had a triple threat match in the main event. I'm pretty sure she wasn't with him then. So you're talking about maybe four or five weeks of television max. So it's not like a massive long storyline. she' she'd been reintroduced relatively recently. so, I don't think this turn really was anything I mean they had they had the opportunity here to do a six month thing with her with him and her you could I mean they could have even oh, it sounds a bit weird doesn't it? they could have even done the whole you know we got back together and I don't know whether they alluded to that on screen or not but um, yeah I just think they pulled the trigger too early on this for it to mean anything
2: to that to that point Stephen actually they do mention in the I can't remember who it is I was looking through my notes desperately trying to find it there is a point in the show where they re- refer to the fact that Liz Savage had split up four years previously hogan says they'd legally split four years ago yeah just after
1: this main event yeah
2: yeah yeah so 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 they they obviously do um they do refer to it but yeah i just thought i'm going back to what i was saying about the mismanagement of the roster for me really like this is randy savage one of the top baby faces in the company a main event star and i think this is i think this is something that is is not well understood and doesn't seem to be put into practice very much in 2022 is that when you have a star you do everything you can to protect them as somebody worth worthy of being a star because that is so hard. To make a star So in every way You present them As a star And I just thought This made Savage Look like a chump Like yeah. he's the world champion And he loses the bout And he loses it Because his ex-wife Turns on him To go You know To go off with Ric Flair And I just thought You know It just makes him Look like a real chump And you, you can't With someone like Savage you, you, Again you have to As much as I'd like them To mix him with the younger guys Before you do that You don't want to make him Look like a chump Because then if it's Obviously his losses Will then mean less For people who beat him So yeah I, That was a For me that was a big mistake in in this and also like that Starcade I watched that not I say not long ago it was about six years ago but you were talking about Starcade that night Flair comes through a triple threat match against Lex Lugan Sting and then beats Savage straight after for the world title so they've kind of had him beaten two pay-per-views in a row against Flair and on both occasions Flair's in the first one he's looked like a superstar because he comes through a triple threat match and then beats Savage straight after and on this one as I said like Elizabeth turns on Savage so I just it just that that part of it didn't really line up with me but I think the the other part of it is though as you said is that the fans just aren't reacting to Savage the way he's tended to be reacted to and I think it's partially that this was still a WCW crowd that was yearning for wcw to be wcw rather than wwf from three or four years previous i think and they
1: preferred sting in this role rather than him actually yeah i think that a lot about you know and what's the biggest pay-per-view they did sting and hogan yeah. so i mean they they had it was the wcw guy going up the wcw baby face going up against the, the the kind of outsider heel um and i just don't think they, I don't think they got it they just didn't yeah. get it did they I, again, someone will know the mechanics far better than I will do on this. But after the NWO happened, Hogan beat down Savage, beat down Savage. Number The number of nitros that ended with him getting his, his back painted yellow. Beat him, beat him, beat him, beat him on at least two pay-per-views. And then what what happened after that? Savage joined the NWO. I mean, what happened? How'd you get there? I mean, that's that what, I mean, at some point
2: the baby has to win. Hmm. I, I don't know, but anyway. I, I did say this about, I think it was maybe like some point last year. I did actually say that I've never understood why any, anyone thought WSW was good from a, from a story perspective because I've never seen any story in WSW that I thought was really well done until today. Cause there is, there is something in this show that I actually quite, quite like from that perspective. We'll get there and I don't know how the story ended. So it's possible that it ended terribly and it never really delivered. Oh, but. I
1: mean, trade now there's something
2: that. on this show that i really appreciate and we will get there so, Stephen, it's your turn to pick a sort of subject you want us to talk about.
1: All right. I'm going to go with something a little bit little bit random. On, uh, on the old Mid-South, Mid-South moments during the pandemic, we used to do a little bit of a rip-off of this podcast, to be honest, this month in wrestling history. So we'd go back and review something random from that month. And then um, we did a few WCW shows, and Johnny B. Bad is excellent. Every single <laughs> Johnny B. Bad match from this time, you think I'm thinking, like, Mark Merrow comes on screen, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be very good. And then the match is really, really good. And I think that he had a knee injury... Um, um, at some point, uh, probably during the first six or nine months of his WWF run, and it wasn't ever quite the same for him. But this version of him, and the version of, of a few years before that, everything he touches is, is, is either decent to pretty good, really. So I, I really enjoyed um, him and Diamond Dallas Page, and that was that was by far my my match of the night. I thought that the whole thing was really, really good. And as we said, in terms of people that you could potentially have some upward mobility, those were two for me, definitely.
3: I'm glad you said that because um, I, I had the polar opposite opinion. I gotta be honest. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That's what I like to see. That's what I like. Conflict.
2: That's what sells. That's what Conflict. This,
3: this was a big thumbs down. I, oh like, no! Oh, honestly, no. like I was, what I was really struggling to stay awake during this. This was <laughs> awful, and it felt like it went on. I, I'm sure this was, if not the longest, I'm sure it was the longest match on the show, which it shouldn't have been. If it wasn't, it was definitely up there as one of them. This easily needed to have like six or seven minutes trimmed from it. It was far too long. It was just plodding along. And I honestly, I was just like, when is this going to end? It just didn't work for me at all.
1: I'm so disappointed. I just literally I've got. I'm looking at the match times. It was I think it was the third longest with um, Savage and Flair the longest, and Hogan. Believe it or not, Hogan. Well, I can't believe it actually. Hogan and the Giant was five seconds longer allegedly than uh, than Johnny B. and and um DDP. So yeah, I'm very disappointed in the map there. That's uh, yeah, very sad about that. Awful. Awesome.
2: I love it. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. Yeah. That's, that's that's what all I'm here for, to be honest. Yeah. Um, this is yeah, it's a 15 minute match. Johnny V Bad. At DDP is for the uh, WCW World Television Championship is also for DDP's $6.6 million that he's won, I believe, or that actually the Diamond Doll seems to have won on some kind of lottery and the DDP has somehow got the money from him from her. I don't know how that happened. Effectively, if if Johnny B Bad wins, not only does he retain the television title, but also Diamond Doll gets the six point six million dollars. And indeed, Johnny B Bad does manage to get the victory after that, um, and uh, he basically reverses a DDP Tombstone into one of his own and then gets the pin. Now. When you were talking earlier on, Matt, about WWE being for you, (laughs) potentially, and you saying, I don't think this period's for me. I think it might be later. And I was thinking in the back of my head, I think it might be earlier. Earlier is
4: what I thought, yeah.
2: Because I I was like... The 93 period in particular And some of 94 the early part Always is seen as kind of a golden Era for the in-ring product of WCW And it's got like you know it's got Austin And it's got Barry Windham and it's got Pillman at his best and it's got you know Regal in loads of matches Vader you know some really like Excellent wrestlers but now I'm not so sure Because (laughs) this match For me is the match of the night I thought it was A cracking match I thought it was a (laughs) really Really good match and I think It's very in the keeping of traditional wcw it feels like a very traditional wcw match it's a slower pace It's a bit more kind of gradually built to a a kind of conclusion there are lots of near falls there's always an attempt to go for a pinfall So they really Kind of emphasise The sporting conceit Of the of the show And they tell a great story They have lovely Like passages of, of action And I thought This is what I watched WCW 4 Is this kind of match Because you just don't get it In WWF Even at the time You didn't get it. it Funnily enough There's a match At the King of the Ring 96 Another show that we Covered last year Between Mark Merrow and Austin In the semi-final Of the King of the Ring And it is This style of match the t- Traditional WCW Story told 17 18 minute match uh where they kind of slow they start slowly build 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 but there's nothing super fancy they just tell a story that makes the fans kind of gradually get more and more into it and i just thought that's what they did here i thought it was a really excellent match and it is my match tonight too so i i was very surprised matt and then so now i'm like i don't know what period matt would enjoy <laughs> of WWE if i'm honest <laughs> do, do you know what? I, I i can tell you what sort of comes comes to mind when i sort of think
3: of you know uh, and WCW, at WCWA, when I was thinking of all the um, all the times that I wanted to be a fan, and you know, wish I was around at the time, things like Goldberg spring to mind. I love seeing. Some of the classic stuff of Goldberg. Loved him. I loved the sting sort of crow character. Thought that was awesome. I remember years ago I had the uh the, the Ray Mysterio DVD and watched a lot of his WCW matches. If you've never seen that DVD, that is one of the best wrestling DVDs I've ever seen for match quality. It is absolutely fantastic. So Ray, so, you know, some of Benoit stuff, you know, crops up every now and again, you know. Um, some you know, there was there was loads of stuff, but that that's sort of you know what kind of came to came to my mind, really when i used to think wcw
1: i think you're better off being sort of 10 or 15 years younger and haven't missed it to be honest i think that's uh <laughs> <laughs> you think all the good wrestling that's around now are going to be over the next couple of years i think forget all that you've got all, all that to look forward to while me and ben will be decrepit and have all day old oap home in a few years time basically so
2: this is definitely the kind of match that i find myself feeling like an old man yearning for <laughs> because you just don't get these matches they just don't really exist and if they do they tend to be the match which is a little bit slower paced and people kind of ignore a little mm. bit, I think, identifying because they, they don't they are much more traditional in the way they're laid out. And they don't they're not just trying to get to the big moments. There is some there's something else going on. And it's it's combining the lack of believability, I think, of of some of the traditional wrestling you get, but with the presentation of it being a sport, which for me is just fascinating. I don't because what they're doing doesn't look really real, but because they the way they present i.e. the the company it, the way the commentators talk about it and the way the wrestlers really kind of commit to the moment it makes you feel like it is real even though if you just look at it at face value it doesn't Mm -hmm. look real at all (laughs) there's a
1: will to to win i think is what's up to me yeah there's a there's a will to win in this match and i i I quite like some of the trimmings of this as well I like diamond doll though i thought uh, i thought kimberly page was like was she the nitro girls or was she a dancer or something because she went from being really good at dancing and then really awful in the same, like, 45 <laughs> seconds.
2: I um, thought she was the leader of the Nitro Girls at one yeah, point.
1: Yeah, I think she might have been. I just, like, when she first came, she did, like, an unbelievable flip. But then she followed it up with sort of, sort of dancing uh, you know, I might pull out at a wedding or something, I thought. <laughs> but, yeah, just – but she, she, was a, she, was, she was an interesting one because I, I wrote down – Diamond Doll's got negative charisma, and then the next thing she did, she did it really well. So I like deleted that, and I thought this is just odd. She's she's obviously a, she's kind of getting her, getting her stride and getting into this thing, but I, I can't really remember what she was like. Cause I think she turned on DDP in the end, didn't she? And was quite heavily involved for, for a few years after this.
2: Everybody turned on DDP in the end. Yeah, I think everyone so, yeah. did. I mean, because um, she's not with DDP in this show either, is she? She's with Johnny B. Bad. But yes. Yeah. I think when Russo took over, I think it was three successive pay-per-views. Somebody turned on DDP. <laughs> I think it was something like I think Kimberly Page turned on him at Spring Stampede. And then it was probably oh, it was David Arquette at Slambury, and then it was yeah. Canyon at the Great American Bash. And it's just like who gonna who's gonna support this guy? No one likes him, Every all yeah. of his mates turn against him.
4: Like, who, why true. would you
2: cheer him? Why would you cheer for that? guy so um yeah it wouldn't surprise me if she did turn on him more than once over the course of the years do you know what,
3: that that's part of what didn't work for you at this is that ddp is a heel like one of the first things i wrote down was ddp is the heel because for a lot of the stuff that i've seen of him he, he's always tended to be the baby face and I, i've I, i've actually seen him do like he did like a live uh sort of q a toy uh, in cardiff uh, quite a few years ago uh, and i went to go see him and it, as it turns out, I, I don't know if any of you have seen him live or met him or whatever, but he's one of the most likable wrestlers I've ever met. So it, it really coloured my view of him as a heel, because I just thought, nah, I'm not buying into this at yeah. all. He's just a super nice guy. <laughs> I thought
1: they mucked up with him in WWF in at the start, really, with, with him. He's one of the ones they could have done something with, even though he was, what would it have been, 45-ish, I suppose, at that point. But he, he was, defeated. yeah, he was a few <laughs> one of the few names.
2: He didn't really emerge that's the weird thing about Paige. just didn't really emerge until right at the end of 96 even at this point i don't think anyone had really considered him as a guy that would be a possible main event guy in the future like he started his career very late as we discussed it, you know, earlier on he um progressed in his skill level very quickly um, after he debuted, but because he debuted so late and because also he didn't have the WWF star power name kind of value that most of the big stars in WCW had at this point, I just don't think anyone really considered him as a major star. But funnily enough, we watched, I think it was Fall Brawl 96 last year, and he is a heel still, but starting to get cheers. And it's, you can see there's a an organic kind of people taking to him, a really kind of like, oh, I quite dig this guy. But we also had seen bachelor of each 95 where he just got so many gimmicks i think that's one thing that he mentions i think he had a conversation with bischoff one day and bischoff said to him like you're great but it's too much going on just strip it back you've got like seven gimmicks Strip it back to one or two and you'll start to catch on and he did eventually but um i agree with you ddp was meant to be a baby face and should have been a baby face always but by this point no one really knew that either so it didn't didn't detract from me I, I'm really surprised you didn't enjoy it Matt I am no didn't work I was falling asleep <laughs> <laughs> well God help you for the rest of this show then Good yeah
3: oh oh I know <laughs> <laughs>
2: Anyway, I think what we'll do there, we'll take a break. We've gone through uh, kind of three, kind of, we've all had t- a little bit of something to talk about. What we'll do, we'll come back from the break, and we will talk about the rest of the show. And Matt can revel in the, the overall quality that he's, uh, he's going to be talking about.
0: Rick Flair, that match was thrown out, but woman, the match involving this man, the Nature Boy, against the Macho Man in a cage, will not be thrown out.
4: Mr. Okerlund, what woman wants,
5: woman gets. Nature Boy, don't you get it! Hogan's master plot has failed again. A little while ago, a very feeble attempt was made at turning the taskmaster against Art Edison. wrong. It didn't work, Hogan. No chemistry. Now, the gauge goes down. The building gets dark. Woman and nature boy. Walk side by side. Walk into the cage. Gotta hit the music. Here comes Randy Savage. I'll listen with that under his arm. And you know what he knows. In the back of his mind, he's talking out of the side of his mouth. He's saying, Liz, oh, this ain't right. I got a face flare. And tonight I'm gonna bleed. I'm gonna sweat. And flare might take you home. Not good odds." Savage, it, tonight, blood, sweat, tears, and a world title change. Right, woman?
0: Yes, that's right, Nate.
5: Woman. Woman. Oh, woman!
0: Woo! If you should win, do I dare ask uh, Mr. Flair, will there be a little ride on Space Mountain?
5: (laughs) Uh, Well, think about it. I'll have woman on my left. and lives on my right but I won't tell anybody who I'll be with tonight
0: Woo! Thank you, that ain't your yes. boy Ric Woman, no, I thank
2: you very much Lovely indeed, gentlemen, let's get back to you Okay, so welcome back Now, we've uh, got the rest of the show to go through in chronolo- chronological order We'll try and keep it uh, within an hour, but you know these things tend to go on, especially with these guys they're just constantly talking, right Um <laughs> So, (laughs) we are in St. Petersburg, Florida. So, our commentators for the night are Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes. And uh, we find that they talk about the fact that we've got two cage matches on the show tonight. A double cage match affair. First of all, Savage of Flair, which we've already spoken about, of course, and Hogan and the Giant. First match of the night, though, is Public Enemy against the Nasty Boys in a street fight, which lasts just over seven and a half minutes. It ends when Rocky Rock misses a cannonball from the top rope through a table and then Brian Nobbs gets the pin on him. So, Matt, what was your thoughts on this one? <sighs> it, it begins. Oh, I know. Take a deep breath
3: here. Um... This was no good It is probably the, the best way I can sort of start off. And just as a very quick aside note, when I was younger, I'm sure as lots of people did when they, you know, they were kids and growing up or whatever, you know, would we, wrestle friends and, and have their own matches and things like this. Me and a group of my friends used to do this and used to film full on matches. Right. <laughs> and the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I am telling you now, I in my backyard, quote unquote, days had better matches than that. <laughs> that was awful. It was it was literally just, I hit you, you hit me, here's a trash can lid, I'll hit you, you hit me back, just repeat. It was just a brawl of no substance. People got lost, you know, there were spots missed by the camera. Honestly, I, I, I struggled with this. I thought, wow, this, this is Major League? No. When they say garbage wrestling, that's what sprung to mind. This was absolutely dreadful. What a bad way to kick off a show.
2: I'm gonna jump in now. I actually didn't mind this. I thought it was all right. <laughs> um, I don't think it, don't go wrong, don't think it was great, but I didn't mind it. We have seen a couple of w, late late WCW hardcore matches, which are a little bit like this with Terry Funkin', but they are they are nowhere near as structured as this match was. Um structure? This match was just a bit of fun to kick us off. I didn't dislike it. It was relatively similar. There's a match between the Nasty Boys and I think it's Cactus Jack and Max Payne, possibly. Is that his name? Mm, yeah, yeah. It's similar to this as well. It's kind of just every all over the place. Relatively fun. Thought the fans were really into it. Yeah, as I say, it wasn't a, a really great match or anything. Won't be one to live particularly long in the memory. But I, I thought it was fun.
1: I am probably in the middle somewhere here. I That's just there's just just a, few, just a few. Yeah, <laughs> just a few. Uh, my final note is not to my taste at all, but might have been more palatable had it been five minutes less. That would have meant the, the match would have been three minutes. So <laughs> I mean, they're not really going to do that. But it should probably still be too long. Uh, just a couple of notes on this. I really don't like this ring. I thought the WCW ring with the kind of small, the crosshair logo on it. Look really pony, and the logo—it just—it just, just looks small and crap. I didn't like this. So I think when they get better. when the Nitro ring is different, isn't it? So it's different colours and a different ring. But for some reason, they use this one on pay per view. I felt sorry for Rocco Rock because he carried a chair. Uh, sorry, he carried a huge table about thirty <laughs> yards. just got smacked in the face of a steel chair, and I, there were lots of that. So, so the chair shots were, were pretty brutal, and I thought they—they kind of worked. Hard. And I, I, I do get the point around lack of structure. But they, I felt like they took killed themselves a little bit in this one. And Rocco's bump for the finish i thought it looked particularly brutal so yeah in fun's in the middle for me but this is just not my not my sort of taste of match at all really
2: if there was one thing that detracted from it most for me it was nothing that they did it was the way that this was produced and the way the director had. Tra- oh
1: i forgot to mention that the split screen <laughs> yeah the split oh, screen wow the well, tiny little split screen with Super broad in massive letters and two really <laughs> tiny split screens. You couldn't see either thing that was going on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I completely forgot
2: that. Yeah, that's, for, for me at times, it reminded me, you know when you get some video games where if you stay in the same screen, it's fine, but then if you move a little bit too far apart, it goes to split screen. And then if yeah. you just take one step back towards each other, it goes back to full screen <laughs> and you can flick between the two really quickly. That's what this reminded me of. It was almost like it was on automatic. So the minute they... Pop Parted too far away from each other screen just went to split screen right, yes. and but the problem was is it didn't automatically go back to one screen so they were in the same place but it was showing you split screen from different angles of the same thing mm-hmm. um, which Could be a novel way of shooting pro wrestling, but it didn't work on this occasion. So that for me was the biggest detraction from the match rather than what they did. And as I said, I think they occasionally WCW went there with this kind of stuff. It was quite a regular occurrence. They would do this kind of thing. And I, yeah, as I said, I didn't I won't live massively long in the memory, but I didn't dislike it. It was a fun way to start the start the show. I agree not enough selling is the biggest problem here they just they got walloped with chairs unprotected in the head all the way through this just shook it off and carried on but we live in an age where people can do all kinds of stuff now you can watch a whole show where they no sell everything in the first yeah. match and the second match and the third match and the fourth match so it's difficult to criticize that these days from where we are uh, i'm over two with matt in terms of uh things that <coughs> he, he liked when i didn't so next up we get backstage gene oakland promoting the wcw hotline this was fun um he was talking. Talking about rumours of two WWF former champions coming to WCW. He then interviews Conan ahead of his match with the One Man Gang, and Conan says thanks to the fans and says there is no way he will let them down by losing the US title tonight. What do we? Who do we think the two WWF former champions are?
1: <laughs> I think this is well, yeah. Sorry, I'm being really gullible there in terms of, of guess. I think it's Hall and Nash, isn't it? I think by this point. Um... <laughs> I do.
2: I, I was going to say I'm not certain it is. because I know that they don't turn up for at least another two three months. So. Yeah. To yeah. not. Nash has still got the big match at to, uh, WrestleMania to come with Diesel, and he's still got mm. the In Your House match after that as well. So it feels quite early for that to be being rumoured on television. You thought the WWE want to keep that very quiet.
1: I thought I saw... God, I didn't I didn't read The Observer in full uh, for this month, but I thought I saw something about this in the headline for them, maybe the month before. Um, mm. But I, c- I could be wrong about that. But yeah, that, that's the feeling I got.
2: So then we've got Johnny B. Badd versus Diamond Dallas Page, which we've already spoken about before. Um, Matt's wrong about his opinion on that one. Uh, and, not, and but- Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we uh, backstage again with Gene Oakland, this time with Highland Heat. And Oakland says that this is a rematch after Heat lost the belts to Sting and Luger in Las Vegas. Uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray say they all beat Sting and Luger. And then when asked about the Road Warriors, say that it's 1996, not 1976, and they're going to take WCW's tag team scene into the future. A bit of Harlem, a bit of Harlem here. Stevie Ray very much the mouthpiece of the band. Mm. See, so, you know, for me, the whole, uh, when I watch this, I just
3: thought, thought booker t has not
2: changed still
3: says sucker still looks the same i was like wow he's literally just been taken out of time and he looks exactly the same he's not changed a bit
2: then we had tony shivoni dusty Rhodes, and bobby heenan talk about the road warriors where Heenan called the road warriors the legion of doom now I've always been a little bit confused by the naming convention of the Road Warriors because my understanding previously had been that the Road Warriors had originally been in a stable during the Territories days, sort of the mid-80s, with uh, Sting and the Ormond Warrior possibly as the Legion of Doom, I th- I, or at least that was my understanding. But when they'd gone just as a tag team, they were always just called the Road Warriors until they went to the WWF and then they'd started using the word, le- the name Legion of Doom for them. So when they came back to WSW, I assumed they would always just be called the Road Warriors, but here they seem quite happy to refer to them as the Legion of Doom, and Heenan's not the only one, they, they say it on a number of occasions. So I, mm. Steve, Stephen, do you have can you clear this up at all for me?
1: Yeah, what you said is right, I think. I, I don't know, I can't remember the, the individuals in it, but Paul, I think Paul O'Leary was involved as well, but yeah, that, that's my understanding, that was the stable name originally and then I don't know why they decided to call him I, I don't know if a Road Warriors would have been trademarked by anyone, because that's the thing in the, there's a film, isn't there, with Road Warriors in it?
2: Well, they also, the weird thing is that in WWF they used to call them Road Warrior Hawk, Road Warrior Animal, the Legion of Doom
1: Certainly um, later. I don't think in their mm. first run they did, but later
2: they definitely did, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's right, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's a strange one. I, I I always figured that the Legion Doom was Vince McMahon's way of getting some trademark on them, but as I said, they seem happy to call them the Legion Doom here as well, so who knows. So next up, we get the first of two WWE tag team title matches. This one, is C Sting and Lex Luger defend against Harlem Heat. The winners will have to go on and face the Road Warriors later on in the show. This match goes for just under 12 minutes and uh, basically ends when um, Animal runs in as uh, the referee is distracted with Sting on the outside against Booker T. And uh, Stevie Ray then is hit with a lead pipe by Road Warrior Animal and Luger manages to get the pin on him and they retain their tag team. Titles. Stephen, your thoughts on this one?
1: This wasn't very good. Is my final line in my bullet points. Um, Road Warriors, I think, were heels here, um, and they—I didn't know that for sure until they sort of said that they were in a faction towards the end. I think, in terms of with Jimmy Hart. So yeah, that was bizarre. I thought and again, heels in this era. Um, I enjoyed uh, Heenan calling a Sting fan at ringside a kid, ugly, uh, and also um, a weird line from Shivani when he said. About this being the era era of a lot of athletes doing hot dogging, which I've not heard before, which apparently was trash talking. Um, hot dogging, <laughs> yeah, not sure. Um, yeah, not not great, not great at all.
2: Is that not just attractive looking for sex with strangers? Hot dogging.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds more like it than trash talking, doesn't it? Really,
2: yeah. Def- definitely, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> the, the, this was another one that um, just wasn't very good. I, uh, I I had actually some decent expectations of this as well. I mean. I heard Harlem Heat are supposed to have been very good. Uh, Road Warriors, I've seen some stuff of in the past and, and have been a fan of. And it just yeah, just it didn't live up to it. It was it was just it was just very boring. I, I can't I, I haven't got anything specific that I sort of noted down other than just it dragged on a bit and just wasn't very good.
1: Yeah, you think this with the four involved, even with Luger, you do think this is going to be passable and the crowd into it. But it just it just wasn't. It was just yeah, it's just a very odd. The whole show is very odd with stuff like this.
2: It was just
3: there, wasn't it? Yeah.
2: I don't know if it's because I've watched too much WW recently because of this show, but again, I didn't mind this. Again, it won't be particularly memorable, but I didn't mind it. I thought it was a perfectly reasonable tag team match, especially given the fact that they're asking Sting and Luger to pull double duty, so I wasn't expecting too much from this, or they're expecting the winners to pull double duty, whichever way this match goes. So I didn't wasn't expecting too much, and I, I didn't mind it. Um, as I said, there were glimpses of why, why Booker T would go on to be perhaps the most, the, the, have the most potential of all the people on this on this uh, roster at the time, with the possible exception of DDP, and he looked pretty good. Sting looked pretty good, and the, the few exchanges between them were quite fun. This is the, the point where I want to talk about that story that I was actually quite enjoying throughout the show. Okay. Uh, it wasn't quite so good in this match, it's better in the second match. But the whole dynamic between Sting and Luger, I was finding very interesting. I I really it really did capture my imagination. Um, because later on you get like bits where Luger's doing things that are overtly heel tactic, or things that are kind of he's begging off, he's being a bit cowardly, and yet Sting's standing by him, and there's this sense of they're really being. Honorable to the characters. They're being honest to the character. So it's not like they're, you know, they're doing the traditional thing where one of the tag team partners is is being a bit of a hill and the other one criticizes them or tries to display heroic tendencies in the face of that instead sting is playing the hero by standing by his friend and not saying much about it and i I just thought that was a really interesting dynamic i just don't think you see it and i also thought that Luger played the part excellently i just thought he was really good like all of his mannerisms his facial expressions i said particularly in the next match in the second in the second match they're in which we'll talk about later on and i'll come on to that but i just thought he played it really well so i really liked this stuff between (laughs) sting and And I too, Stephen, had watched some of the early episodes of Nitro. Um, yeah,
1: well, there's a lot of this in there, isn't there?
2: Yeah. Yeah. When when Luger first turns up, Sting's kind of his friend, but do they trust each other and all that stuff? And so it felt to me like this was a this was a constant dynamic between the two. And again, because it was different and kind of they're playing it in such a way that I haven't really seen play this way. That you've seen dynamics between tag teams where one of them doesn't trust the other or they're a little bit on those different pages, but never quite played this way. I I just <clears> thought if. It felt a bit like it was mimicking probably the relationship Sting and Luger have actually got, where Luger has always been a bit of a dick, and Sting obviously <laughs> found God quite a lot earlier than next Luger did, but always tried to sort of be a salvation for Luger. As, as yeah. Kind of- and it just, oh I really kind of got into it. But um, it was okay, match, but n- nothing, nothing too special. So then uh, on the entrance ramp, we get some more of this Luger and Sting stuff. As, as Gene Oakland interviews them, Luger says he held up his end of the bargain by getting the win. So he's kind of almost hiding the fact that he was helped by Roadwire Animal to win this match he doesn't say anything to sting sting doesn't seem it doesn't appear to know what happened and gene oakland almost tries to tell him but sting interrupts him as if he he's almost like trying to stay blind to the fact that Mm. they cheated to it It, again just i was really drawn in by it i just thought this is is an interesting character between the two of them and so they continued to celebrate and then and then left
1: Luger is the most enthusiastic man in the history of the world here um but but he also called them the tag team in the 90s but i'm not sure that's If '90s is already over, you know, perhaps he should have been saying we're the tag team for the next millennium. I don't know. But I didn't think. my final note was, fine, expected it to be worse. So I think it's probably quite a good phrase, really, in uh, In the grand scheme of things. This was I mean, the, this was decent, actually, this promo from Lugo, I thought.
2: Yeah. Uh, w- was it possible that the, he was referring to the... Maybe they had been referred to as the tag team in the 90s from the beginning of the 90s, and yeah. maybe he was just carrying that on. I mean, he was still in the mid-90s by this point, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So the commentators confirmed then that later tonight, Sting and Lugo would defend the belts against the Road Warriors. Now, I put that note there because before this, even though that we knew the winner of this match would face the Road Warriors. It wasn't explicitly that they would face them tonight. So they've now confirmed that. So I was kind of, okay, right, we've got that coming up later on. Okay, so the next match is for the United States title, and it sees Conan defending against the one-man gang in a -a seven-and-a-half-minute match. Now, before I talk about what the end was, I will point out the one-man gang, if you initialize him, is OMG. So I've got a lot of OMG notes all over my page. Basically, what happens here is Conan pins OMG after a somersault sent on. Matt, how did you like this one? It's
1: <laughs> your yeah. match of the night, five stars.
2: Do you know this might actually turn out to
3: be a surprise? But I thought this was okay. <laughs> it, it it was fine. I mean, it, it I definitely think it was probably one of the better ones of the night so far. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. I mean, the the only thing that I particularly remember was I do kind of feel that the finish. Was a little abrupt. Like I'm pretty sure that Conan um, went to do the splash. Like I'm not sure if he moved too early uh, or one man kind of moved too early. What one of them just moved a little too quickly. I thought, oh, okay, that was a little bit took me out of the moment a bit. But uh, other than that, it was it was fine. Um, I I was looking forward to it because I've heard an awful lot about uh, about Conan Um, from I've seen interviews, you know, from uh, you know guys like Ray Mysterio in the past who've put heaps of praise on Conan and and what he's done for their career. So I was. I was looking forward to seeing him and to be honest he he didn't really disappoint. It was it was all right. I don't
1: know where to start on this one. So the day before I watched this, I watched an 11 year younger one man gang squash Wendell Cooley at WrestleFest 85 and, and I couldn't believe that one man gang was 36 one day before his 36th birthday. Um, I mean, I yeah, I don't, I just, I don't know what you've been doing for those 35 years, uh, to to get into this sort of state, really, in terms of, I thought he looked well into his 40s. Someone who didn't look in a bad state was Conan, and he had the sort of body that I sometimes look at guys on like reality TV and like they're ripped and everything. And I think if only I could have just had that body for one afternoon at Ocean Beach Club in Ibiza in my younger years instead of the kind of skinny and fat look that I more often than not was sporting, uh, which didn't really go down too well. With the uh, the ladies there, Rhodes thought that Conan should fist uh one-man gang in the head during this show <laughs> and just really really appealed to my level of immaturity and um, you're going with that then wow <laughs> Matt you, you, you already pointed this out gang missed the splash diving off the ropes after Conan had already moved and also earlier in the match Conan missed the drop kick by about 10 feet um, which yeah. looked just really really awful this was I thought this was terrible and, I, and I'm just gonna just I looked this up uh, and Dave Meltzer gave this minus two stars so um, there we go yeah not not the best <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i thought this was pretty damn terrible to be honest um i i've seen conan now three or four times from his ww period not impressed at all so there's a match we saw on this we've covered on this show conan versus juventude guerrera from i think nice uh, end of 96 it's bloody it's just rife with with mistakes and mm. mix-ups i blamed it that time on the green on how green i thought juventude probably was at the time and i'm sure it was at the time but here again there's just a lot of Sloppiness. You know, I just haven't seen anything from Conan that makes me think, yeah, you know, superstar. I can understand why you were a massive star in Mexico because he was a humongous star. And One Man Gang is the man who performed perhaps my favorite ever move in I think it's a, a survivor series 89 or something. There's a bit where he kind of he, go, he might even be 87. I, know, I can't remember exactly. He's in the main
1: event in 87, so I was it's 87. Yeah.
2: Might be, yeah. but it's it's basically that he goes to put a knee lift into somebody. I'm not sure who it is. It might be big boss man, actually. Oh, do you know
1: what? He's in the main event in '88 as well, isn't he? But as a, a key man, yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah. And he, but he goes, he does this sort of knee knee to the gut, if you like, of boss man. And he moves his legs so slowly into boss man's <laughs> gut. And boss man, in fairness, sells it like a champ. Like he absolutely sells it as if he's killed him. But it is the most pathetic looking move you're ever like to see. And that was pretty much what we got from One Man Gang here. Mm. So it was also such a strange combination of wrestlers to put against one another. Toadman versus yeah. one man yeah. gang. What a strange it's hard to explain why that's so strange, but it feels so odd to me. Just feels really bizarre.
1: Give Conan. If Conan's got some stuff here, and I, I I've, I, I again, I'm not really going looking for it. But I can't ever remember think, seeing a Conan match and thinking, oh, that was, that was, you know, superb. Not that I've seen too many, but give him something here. But this is, yeah, odd booking. I think fairly sums it up.
2: Yeah, and the, the other thing that's weird about this is that obviously Conan at this point is the U.S. champion, having beaten One Man Gang, as was previously mentioned in Las Vegas. One Man Gang had held the U.S. title after beating Kensuke Sasaki in the dark match that took place after Starcade, the year before wow okay. <laughs> really odd um I guess what had happened is that Kanzuki Suzaki was the United States champion or Kensuke Sasaki I suppose is how you probably say it and I'm assuming New Japan just didn't want him to, to actually have to do it on television yeah,
4: yeah. and so
2: they had to, they did it on a dark in uh, I said a dark match after the show so it wasn't even before the show it was the last thing that the people in the stadium saw I mean the, the arena saw so yeah really odd bit of a strange one that but yeah uh, I wasn't impressed by this. Next up, Gene Oakland is backstage and he talks about um, some plumbing issues that they're
1: <laughs> having. <laughs> Do you so that was real? <laughs> <laughs> he's basically standing there and "No, oh, there shit. He so he's
2: like, we've <laughs> <laughs> got... I'm absolutely convinced that was real because he <laughs> he is he's like, basically says well, I'm gonna have to apologize and it's basically like he's saying that it fucking stinks down there, mate. It's absolutely it oh fucking reeks. Goodness. I mean, Dude, I don't yeah. know what's happened. I think I think the giant's just taking a massive shit upstairs and <laughs> no. and the, and, the, and the piping is broken because it is um that's oh, that's what he oh, says. Oh. He again promotes the WW hotline and those former WWF champ rumors and then he interviews the Road Warriors. Uh, Animal tells Sting that he's making a big mistake believing in Lex Luger. So this made me thinking that maybe the Road Warriors weren't with Jimmy Hart. I I, I don't know. I got this all a bit strange because Luger goes with Jimmy Hart for a bit before, like in late yeah, yeah, Yes. So fuck knows what was going on with this story. <laughs> um, And then they apologized to Harlem Heat kind of in a sort of sarcastic way having cost them their match earlier on in the show I, I i can't see the road warriors as heels myself but who knows uh, any thoughts on this promo
1: i like hawk saying not in the style of wayne's world um that's about all i've got on this one
2: i've got the hawk sounded
3: like a pirate <laughs> <laughs> I think he always does. I think he, that, I think that's his general... Yeah, that's package. a good shout,
1: actually. I never really yeah. thought of that, yeah. He yeah, very
3: much came across, you know, just like, pirate-type stuff. I was like, okay.
2: <laughs> maybe, the, maybe we've got them all wrong all these years. Maybe yeah. that was the gimmick they were going for as pirates, and for whatever reason, we just never got it. Now I think that's... about it, has there
3: ever been a full-on pirate gimmick? I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Well, I guess uh, Paul,
2: Paul Birchall, Jean-Pierre that's... Lafitte. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 that, uh, uh, yeah. That, didn't,
3: that didn't last, I suppose, yeah. but okay. But
1: sure, that was a funny one. I remember... Seeing Seeing him for whoever it would have been at York Hall in the early two, uh, FWA, I suppose, and he was like, we all thought he was gonna be a megastar, like because he's massive against everyone in the FWA, like Jody Flay and all those sort of people. I probably mispronounced that. Um, back in 2003 or whatever, when he turned up in WF he was just kind of like average size and he wasn't anything was he really what did he do you know what he did after that Ben did he, did he carry on wrestling oh. I don't
2: think so I think that was it I think he was done I think he did finish after that yeah, yeah.
3: I, I may have done one or two appearances after but not a lot he used to smash out like if, unless I'm
1: I, I think I'm right like shooting star presses and stuff didn't he
2: I don't remember a lot about it I wasn't a fan of Britrest back then oh ok me. He, he may have done. He may have done. Well, to I be think honest. he did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he did. I think um, he came from a period of time when, especially if you were British and you made it to WWF and then you were released, you were unlikely to carry on trying. Yeah, because yeah. you you kind of There's done it. Yeah. No, exactly. There was nowhere to go. He'd kind of got there, but and, and he hadn't had a, a run that was memorable enough to ever eventually get himself back either. So, mm. you know, I think as time went on and there were more places to work in the UK, you could come back and you could still apply your trade. It was a bit different. But back then, I think he, once you got a certain way through your career, you probably weren't going to carry on if you'd got no. if you got released. Next up, Kevin Sullivan comes out for his match with Brian Pillman, which we are told is supposed to be a strap match and I respect you match. Don't, Don't really never heard of an I respect you match before, but we got one here and my goodness, was it a classic? So the rules to this match is that you must make your opponent say that they respect you. Over the house, Mike. I'm quite glad I got that right then because uh, I I anticipated that being quite complicated to explain. The match barely gets underway before Pillman grabs the microphone and says to Kevin Sullivan, I respect you, Booker Man, and then walks out. So this uh, let's start with uh, let's start with you, Matt. What did you make of this uh, one and a half minute? contest. <laughs> just the premise of the match just makes me laugh and I respect you
3: match. Like, what the hell is that about? Um, I, I can only assume Brian Pillman saying, you know, I respect you, Booker Man was supposed to be some cool insider reference you know to to, to sullivan and, and that's it you know what else can you say what was the point of it there was absolutely <laughs> no
2: need they needn't have bothered what what was that about what, what a waste of both let before steven you jump in here i'm gonna do right now our tyrant faxton of the week. The day after Super Bowl six, Brian Pillman was sacked by WWF president Eric Bischoff, though according to Bischoff's autobiography, the idea had been to lend legitimacy to Pillman's loose cannon gimmick, where he was to go and work for ECW to refine the act, and the plan was for him to later return to WWF and put his character into full gear. That didn't end up happening, and instead, Pillman took advantage of the situation, signing with WWF to only the second instance of a guaranteed contract being offered to a wrestler by Vince McMahon, as Vince attempted to Compete for talent with WCW.
3: Tyron Faxton of the week. Ah, that makes more sense now. Cause I, I remember something like that happening around the time. And didn't like Bischoff legit release him, though? Because like, mm. you, you, how stupid can you be? I mean, of course he's gonna try and, you know, if he can get more money elsewhere, of course he's gonna sign elsewhere. I mean, this is this is classic WCW. So some, some
1: people might have been interested in this match on pay-per-view or in the arena and you've got this that probably less than 5% of your watching audience because because we're talking about 96 almost no internet very little I mean I don't know what the newsletters do, do now circulation wise but let's say 10,000 newsletters I doubt they do any more than that Ben do you reckon Wrestling Observer that would have no. still made Dave Meltzer a very rich man wouldn't it Yeah.
2: I think 10,000 would be would be impressive to be honest I'd be surprised yeah, if it was yes. not a lot less
1: yeah so that's, that's, that's still like a very very good income for him
2: no one knows
1: and this doesn't you don't, you're not drawing any money. Like this is a bit like you're watching Game of Thrones and all of a sudden they shoot off and they're like well, we're going to do this scene this way because it's like no one wants to see that this doesn't this doesn't draw any money it's just pointless and in the end Bischoff went along with this this was a work there's lots in the Observer about this where people were you know oh well, I don't know if it's a work or not I they think they're working the working the rest and stuff it's like, wrestling is supposed to be about getting people to be interested in matches and outcomes and characters and actually there's no there's no payoff here like who cares you just think well, that, that was a bit odd that was a bit, I was looking forward to that match or I wasn't Looking forward to that match, and I'm, um, you know, I was proven right because it was absolute turd. So I just don't inside stuff like the. I mean, I know later they presented a match with Goldberg and maybe Scott Steiner Is this is real, but everything else isn't. Just like, well, that stuff is just stupid. Like, it, it, uh, Ben, you talked about booking a territory in terms of like it's it's not an easy thing. But there's some fundamental things you just got to stay away from. Don't assume that your fans are all smart because even now, you, it might be that wrestling is more of a niche thing and you can only get, you know, you can throw everything at the wall and still only get a million people watching AEW. But still, like, there's a lot of those people that aren't reading newsletters, aren't listening to podcasts. Um, it just might be the percentage have changed a bit. But you can't book, you can't book that smart audience you've got a book you know to your fans and and make, just just make a product that people are interested in watching I just I just hated this.
2: The, the truth of what you say, Stephen, is made clear by the fact that Matt, who is effectively a casual viewer right now of WCW, having not watched it yeah. before, if you like, didn't know, didn't get it, even though yeah. he knew what had happened between Pillman and Bischoff. So I think the point of that shows you that that's what you're right. And and you know I actually think this is a major problem still, massive problem today. Um, and actually I'm gonna put, I'm gonna make a little bit of criticism, not a little one, a big criticism of CM Punk on this one because CM Punk,
1: I've my CM Punk T-shirt on. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
2: i know you're a big fan of cm punk steven but you know a few about a month or two ago cm punk said on twitter that there are no casual fans anymore and i said my response to that is if there isn't it's because you guys can't stop fucking talking about the insider stuff and none of the casual fans understand any of that shit and there was a a, and it really stood out for me it was a a great the, the the great kind of cm punk and eddie kingston promo back and forth that they did was really tainted for me by the fact that Punk went on about people like The Amazing Red and tried to emphasize how important those people were to a company like Ring of Honor in the early days of Ring of Honor when they were pulling about three to 400 fans per show and expecting a mainstream audience to know who Amazing Red yeah, was that's really good and one. I was just like this is stupid this is so bad this is so you're making your show exclusive to just the people who know who these people are or care who these people are I'm someone who's watched wrestling for I no it's got to be nearly 30 years and I've you know been an inside wrestling fan if you like since about 97 when it was foisted upon me by the Montreal Screwjob as it was for lots of people and I have barely ever seen Amazing Red have a match (laughs) so (laughs) like you know if I don't really care who he was, regardless of how important he was to Ring of Honor back in 2002, why should anyone who's watched only for the last 10 years who would have never even had the chance to see Ring of Honor at that time? So, I yeah, I think it's a major, major problem even today. I agree there's probably a bigger percentage of people who are in on that stuff, but it's still meaning that huge swathes of people that could possibly watch wrestling won't watch it because they've got no no idea what anyone's bloody talking about.
1: I doubt it's more than forty or fifty percent in terms of And I'd count someone maybe they listen to a podcast a week, and I wouldn't count Twitter. I don't think Twitter counts. If you're if you're a fan, you follow some wrestling accounts. That doesn't count. You have to be a bit, I don't necessarily have to be a newsletter, but maybe like a a post wrestling or one of the other review places you can get for free and you just listen to it and there's some news and stuff in there. But Cody Rhodes, um, I know this is going to be a couple of weeks time when it's released, but Cody Rhodes in The Last Dynamite talked about, I'm not going to turn heel. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? You can say that in a different way. You can say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn my back on the fans. I'm not going to change my principles. That's, that's it. But what does, I'm not going to turn heel mean? That's just, it's just like, Cody, you've been around the business for so long, and and I, I, I felt a bit sad, sorry for him because earlier on he posted something on Instagram about, uh, you know, I, I don't usually reach out for, to advice to people. I wish Dream was around, etc. But he really should start reaching out to people for advice because some of his promos, the promo last week, he was all over the place about various things, bringing up wrestlers he's not in feuds with, all sorts of things, talking about Tony Hill It's like wrestling should be about you can it can be it can be good and evil, it can be shades of grey. But it all must make sense in this situation of wrestlers win wrestling matches to earn money, to get title shots, or wrestlers have fused with people because someone's done something wrong. It could be a small thing, it could be a big thing, and the payoff is the fight. Anything outside of that, I don't want to see it because it's not not part of the – you can have the – I I don't mind the comedy thing or whatever, that's all, you know – sprinkled in into into a t- like a little bit variety but the, the core has to be strict to what that what this genre is and i think aew um though i thought the show was a lot better last week i, I really didn't like that very
2: much well i i think there's a thing I would say about that as well So I I take that even further I don't mind wrestling being completely out there being completely crazy like I have said to you before Stephen I was a big fan of Chikara and they do yeah, crazy yeah. stuff like they have time travel and goodness knows what else but within the bounds of that they never broke through the screen and told you what we're doing right now is scripted and fake yeah and, I think that's fine you know that. so I don't care <laughs> if, if there's they do time it. travel in that world that's okay exactly just yeah. like as it would be in like I don't know like back to the future time travel exists yeah. in back to the future but it's not like Michael Troy jay fox is then turning coming in as himself in the middle of the film yeah. and start to you know that stuff i hate so i don't um, like
1: this line i'm not going to do it i'm going to do it yeah. this way shoot shoot me no yeah it doesn't work
2: so that that's where i have a problem but and, and i'll go through everyone the figures you gave a minute ago so i think you're probably right in terms of 40 50 the, percent of the people who watch wrestling regularly but actually probably 10 percent of the fans who possibly might watch wrestling if they didn't go on about it all the time. That's the problem yeah. for me is that they've just driven so many people away. Like, I, kn- I know people who watch wrestling on face value basis, even my age. I know people my age who watch it on that basis, and they completely lost because they're like, yeah. what the fuck? What is this all about? These are people who, you know, still, like, when at the height of 20, 2014 hatred for Roman Reigns. They're like, oh, I love Roman Reigns. It's really cool because they watched it very much on a face value basis yeah, yeah, and yeah. didn't look into the, oh, this guy's a good wrestler or not, like, Like, yeah, it just bugs the hell out of me. Anyway, sorry, we've spent more than enough time. Matt, is there anything you want to say? Because I know we've kind of dominated the conversation there. (laughs) No, there there was a couple of things that I sort of picked up on there. I mean,
3: you know, when you were mentioning about, you know, being into like the sort of outlandish stuff, I mean, I I too am okay with it as long as it still kind of makes sense, you know? Bray Wyatt, I I think, is almost a prime example. I loved Bray Wyatt. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to go crazy. I wasn't into the whole, you know, burning people thing and, you know, the split personality stuff with the fiend that's when it started to go way over the top but uh, the sort of early incarnation of bray wyatt back with the wyatt family i, I thought was fantastic and, and that was the type of character i, I can totally get behind because at least it still had elements of making sense but when you had him possessing people and, and all that garbage that's that's when it
2: did start to you know you know go off the cliff a little bit Trying to get back to where we uh, are supposed to be going. I said just a moment ago that Brian Pellman took advantage of the situation and signed with WWF to only the second instance of a guaranteed contract being offered by Vince McMahon. Can you tell me who the first was?
1: Ooh, um, I've, I've got no idea. It's going to be someone. Uh, I wonder if it's no, I don't know. No idea. I thought I suspect it's a. It's a I I, my, I suspect it's an odd one that we wouldn't get, but I, I could be very. I could be proven wrong about that in a, in a few moments' time.
3: Any guesses, Matt? Yeah, I'm thinking there's probably going to be one that I, I'm not going to get, but I'll just throw a name out there. Maybe, maybe Brett or or Sean Or I think that might have been
2: later on. They got offered guaranteed deals. So it was another person who jumped from WCW to the WWF, and he's on this show. Mr. Johnny B. Bad was the very oh, first person. Oh wow! How interesting. Oh, to get guaranteed God. contract in the <laughs> WWF.
1: Wow. Good on him. Good on him. Always, always rated him. So well
2: done. <laughs> I think that's the thing for me with Johnny Bad. What you said earlier on, I quite I like Johnny Bad. I think he's a good wrestler. But I always admire most amongst wrestlers the businessmen Mm. and the businesswomen the ones who go in with a thing of i need to make money here this is a limited career i will make the most money i possibly can for the least possible damage to my body those are the people i always admire most in wrestling and johnny bad obviously had a bad injury but he he got in his he got his payday before that happened absolutely
3: do you know what that's one of the many reasons i'm such a big fan of brock lesnar who i think is one of the best businessmen in wrestling today yeah
2: i think that's fair
1: and he's so, pretty good as well, Lesnar. I, you know, I like him. So, know, yeah, yeah.
2: After this. Thing with Pillman walking out. Jimmy Hart and Arn Anderson come to the ring. Um, Sullivan wants Arn. Arn takes off his shirt. And it appears we've got a second match. And apparently a second. And apparently a second. I thought it was an I respect you match. But Wikipedia says otherwise. And I'm not going to argue with Wikipedia. This one is slightly longer. Just under four minutes. But still not particularly long. And it ends when basically Ric Flair walks to the ring. Um, He's wearing a t-shirt tucked into his pants. Which is an absolutely lovely look. He says that Hulkamania ends tonight and he try, and he then brings Arne Anderson and Kevin Sullivan together as the Dungeon of Doom and four horsemen try to forge an alliance against the babyfaces of the company. Stephen, any, any thoughts on this second strap match?
1: According to The Observer, they were in a big panic backstage and Arn Anderson went out, but I suspect the panic was worked. So I suspect obviously Pete, Pete, some people knew about what Pilman was going to do, but the, the body of people didn't know. So I, I don't know whether Anderson knew about this or not, but I thought this was, this was rubbish. Um, I did like Anderson. Uh, i I written down it looked like he'd been playing golf. And then Heenan actually said he'd, he'd been out playing 18 holes and he would had to have a match after that. So I did actually quite like how that all worked out. I don't think his brown boots went with dark and Dirk. Dirk. Dark purple shorts though. Uh I also liked Anderson was about to say son of the son of a bitch on the microphone, but then decided that was too rude, so just mumbled something instead. Um I just thought it was wretched
3: yeah, the, 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 this was more you know more of the, what just happened previously it was just I, I literally just put down what was the point of this you know the, by the time Flair comes out he pretty much just goes "Ah, oh, the hell with this and it was like well what was the point <laughs> why, why bother I, I honestly I, I don't know what else to say but it was, it was just a waste of time mm.
2: I did feel like WWE had a very strange heel fakes dynamic going on just in general not just on the show but m- most of what I've seen in this sort of period before the NWO come along you know not only just in terms of how they're presented but also just the way the fans are kind of reacting to them they they like flair they dislike you know other people that potentially are baby faces hogan gets a lot of like stick on this show it's it's odd it's just a weird up and down everything's everything it's just very strange yeah and this was part of it you know here you got Arn anderson kevin sullivan two men in two different factions both the factions are heel <laughs> uh really odd so after this uh match if that's what you really want to call it we have backstage gene oakland again this line with jimmy hart and the giant jimmy hart says the hulkamania is over tonight we've heard that a few times already and then giant tells hogan that he can't run and he can't hide matt shaking his head <laughs> (laughs) yeah it's um and i apologize in advance because i
3: know he's called the giant but you know what I watched him for too long as the big show so I'm going to try my hardest to not refer to him as the big show but it's going to slip out at some point so what was the promo about you know he's looked into the souls of men there's evil inside me it was it was as if he read like a Lord of the Rings book before he did the promo I was like what are you trying to say (laughs) it just seemed really (laughs) bizarre to me I I, I didn't quite understand it
1: And I I took a slightly different um, view on this because I think he said at the end that he's a mountainous volcano who's going to erupt all over Hogan, so I think it took a bit of a sinister, sinister. Stand. Also, why does he spit so much?
2: That volcano is going to be exploding. That's too much of those premium bloody phone lines. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's he saved it up for for three months for Hogan for his for his uh, pay per view main event. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is his tongue too big for his mouth? Is that cause too much spit? I don't know. It's just something going on. Then he always spits a lot. I mean, I feel perhaps I feel a little bit sorry for him if he's like having conversations with people in the flesh and constantly showering them. Um, so yeah, not not the best. I've also written on my notes here for some reason 1 hour 21 22 seconds lunch next to it. I don't know, I don't know I don't know if I had lunch at that time. But that has nothing to do with the pay-per-view. So I guess I had a break in here, but why I type lunch out, I don't know. <laughs>
2: maybe you were just so excited by it you're like <laughs> you i've mind. just seen i've just seen the mountainous volcano explode i, I need some food i'd be
3: really you're hungry yeah <laughs> i thought the giant needed to have a match with uh, brutus the barber beefcake as well and lose and, and get his hair cut because my god what was that thing growing on his yeah. head
2: wow after our rumble 90 episode a few weeks back matt's favorite wrestler now is Bruce barber, brutus the barber beefcake <laughs> it's a whole new concept for him the idea that a baby face could chop people's head off in the middle of the, uh, chops people's hair off sorry in the middle of a
1: we literally turn up on Superstars and just cut like someone's someone's hair off, basically.
2: Just one yeah. did. <laughs> so a few explanations there. I mean, first of all, this is what I was talking about with the giant, where you feel like he's just another big guy who Hogan will slay, and then he'll be done. Like it, 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 there was no indication for me at this point that he could be. Someone who would be around so many years, like twenty-six, seven years later, and still be someone of note in the wrestling world. Also, he's very green. I mean, he debuted the previous October and at Halloween Havoc. Not just in WWE, but pretty much his wrestling debut was in the main event and he won the world championship in the same in the same occasion. I mean, it's unprecedented, it's madness, but that's what happened with him. An explanation to some of that weird stuff, if you like, is that he's in the Dungeon of Doom. And the Dungeon of Doom are basically just a bunch of people that are a bit strange and a bit, it's almost like a collection of X-Files monsters, basically. That's that's what they're supposed to be. So that's, I think, that's how you explain that stuff. So next we get the second tag team title match. This time Sting and Lex Luger are defending against the Road Warriors in a match that goes for 14 minutes and ends in a no contest when apparently all the teams get disqualified or counted out or some, some shit. Basically, there's no ending to the match. Stephen, thoughts on this one?
1: Ugh. The start of it was so odd and long. Luger backing off, not wanting to get in there, scared of the spikes... Um, it was the worst net breaker I've ever seen attempted by a haul, because Sting basically fell out of it. The two <laughs> did like a weird grapple on the floor when neither knew what to do next. Um, I just thought it would never end. Terrible working ring, plodding, dull, grim and an atrocious count-out finish and 14 minutes of my life I'll never get back. And I thought this sat whatever life was left in the crowd straight out of their bodies.
2: F- five star classic then, Stephen?
1: I think minus, minus star. I think Melzer actually but I can't be bothered to look at it now. So yeah, I can't tell you. I think it was that you
3: there was pretty much Yeah just a couple of things That sort of stuck out for this I mean I, I when I was watching I was kind of pushed for time When I was watching it So I, I did sneakily fast forward Like a minute or two And they were still Stalling at the start yeah. So I can't fathom How long that was going on for Because that was annoying as hell You know for as long As I was watching it anyway I was like, just get on With the damn thing The finish at the end I mean I, I hate you know On you know on, on pay-per-views I just No Those finishes Do not have a place there I, I just don't think they do It's unless it's done in such a fantastic way which this one wasn't so that shouldn't have happened. The, as soon as it finished, it kind of reminded me of the of some of the bad days of TNA, um, when an angle would happen and then they'd immediately cut and go straight to the back. Hmm. And even I can remember Mike Taney on his commentary going to the back, and that's immediately what sprang to mind. Because as soon as this finished, it was like, oh, okay, you know, forget what happened here. Who cares? Let's go to the next thing. And I was like, give me a minute to you know to
2: actually process this really terrible match I just saw, uh, you know, and and they didn't. It wasn't great. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add another thing that I didn't think was great, which is the concept of this match at all, which is that you've already had these guys defend the title on the show. Is it really fair that they have to defend them again? I mean, yeah. there's some, there's supposed to be something called champion's advantage, I'm pretty sure, and they've got no advantage here. They've got <laughs> to wrestle twice in the same night. Having said that, I have a different perspective on this match. Again, I didn't mind it. I don't didn't think it was, again, very memorable, but I didn't mind it. And this is really where the Lex stuff, I thought, really kicked in. I just found this the whole first five minutes of stalling and stuff I, I was really interested in it I just found it really interesting there's oh. something about the way Lex <laughs> Lucas stood there and he's backing off he doesn't want to get in the ring Sting's trying to get him into the ring trying to convince him to come into the ring but not in a kind of annoyed way but in a kind of I'm your friend come on we'll be fine we're going to do this we're going to beat these guys he won't come in the ring he looks genuinely pissed off with the fans who are saying to him get in the ring come on stop stop mucking around get in the ring and all that stuff I just thought he was playing this really well I just really thought he was he in on what he was supposed to be doing, what his character was about at this point. It might be just that he was genuinely pissed off. And it might have been <laughs> just that he was legitimately didn't want to get in the ring and have the match. But I just thought it was so convincing. I was just like, I can really buy into this idea, this dynamic between Sting and Lex Luger, which is that Sting is a nice guy. His mate's Lex Luger. He doesn't want to like get on his mate's back, but at the same time is trying to be honourable towards the Road Warriors or his challengers, because he's, he's still a good guy. He's still a sort of hero. Type and Luger is just being a bit of an ass, but at the same time, when he gets in the ring, he's still kind of taking advantage. So there were some bits where basically Sting's kind of asked to do the, the lion's share of the work, but he'll tag in and then he was quite effective against the Red Warriors when they're on, when they're down and stuff. I I just haven't found the whole dynamic between them really fascinating, and that's why for me, Lex Luger is my MVP of the night wow. because I just really enjoyed his work, his character work here, and the, the just the dynamic between Sting and Lex Luger. I just I've never seen any something like it before but it felt really real and i just I, I really kind of really took me in nothing great about the match at all but the the that whole dynamic carried me through both of these tag team matches well
1: three cheers for lex Luger.
2: yeah i never i'm just as surprised as you that lex Luger <laughs> got an mvp from me but um yeah i i did appreciate this so next up gene gene Oakland is backstage with rick flair and woman um flair says that hogan's master plot failed again talking about hogan trying to or apparently trying to turn the horsemen and the dungeon of doom against one another flair says that the match tonight will see blood sweat tears and a title change oakland asks if he wins tonight will there be a ride on space mountain flair says he will have woman on woman on one side and elizabeth on the other any uh how do we how do we feel about Flares, space mountain and everything else
1: i mean i used to oh, it's typical now isn't it i mean given recent developments a bit um, more sinister and unsavory uh, but i used to this the space mountain stuff and all those like i used to absolutely love that back in the day so now i feel a bit dirty but having liked it given um given all the stuff that, that's come out but i suppose it's, you know it's probably not not a surprise given the 80s and the 90s and and um what people thought was acceptable behavior back then but yeah it's just a bit yeah probably not much more to add than that really
3: yeah that's 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 probably a good point um it does he he just comes across as just a dirty old man
1: it really Um, does now doesn't it
3: yeah yeah like i I can't remember what book was it it was uh, i think it was jr's book i mean there's many stories in there about flair but there was one in particular was just oh i just harrowing i I would you really need to go and read jr's book and he just really does make him seem like such a sleazeball but so many people in the business love him so yeah. you just can't talk bad about him you know but
1: well I think that's why basically he would get he'd pay for all the drinks he'd take all the boys out and as far as they're concerned their, their memories probably just you know it's party time but actually like a lot of things um, you know we we as a people in lots of sub, we as a people crikey we're getting really deep on this we this now, but- the people we the people People. we've all evolved we've all evolved in lots of different different things with it it's, you know race sexuality gender we you know I think that as a whole though sometimes humans do let I'm surprised by certain things, certain people say in certain certain situations. But I think we've we've evolved, and some of this stuff that was, you know, funny or may have been funny when you might have heard it 15, 20 years ago, we've all we're all a bit better now. we I I think, as a whole, we're, you know, we're all a bit, you know, a bit more aware. And I I think there is there has been a a great improvement in the vast majority of people. And some of this stuff is just like it's very distasteful, very very awful, and it's just I say it on mid south moment about looking at stuff in 2021 or 2022 vision, but with 2022 Vision, a lot of the flare stuff now is just a bit its just a bit rank, isn't it, really? And that's probably understating
2: it. Talking about the fact that it's a kind of society, if you like, we've evolved behaviours, evolved mores, have changed people. Things that are acceptable 20, 30 years ago are not acceptable now. There was a tweet that someone about, I can't remember, who was, where they basically added a picture of, I think, a bunch of blokes in a bar getting drunk and another picture of a bunch of blokes around a computer game. And they basically said, roster from 1994, that, yeah. roster from 2022 if you like and it was posted with that comment but I think that the suggestion was that, that it was cooler back in the day but actually you know I think the point is is these are, these are professionals they're doing yeah. a job part of that shouldn't be an almost a requirement to get drunk and to spend all of the money that you're making on putting substances down your into your body and mm. so actually I would argue that it's far healthier what happens now than what happened and, and clearly it's also much better in terms of people not being dicks and, and causing pain whether that be emotional or physical to other people but that was a real clear for me example of how behaviours changed attitudes have changed and someone also was commenting underneath that you know if the undertaker was still backstage these days he wouldn't allow this and i was like well then he's a dick he's, he, is,
1: he came out with some stuff yeah didn't he i think i completely agree with you what like there's that, li- these guys in let's let's say AEW for it for as an example i'm sure they go out and you know they they're like you know have good times like young people do but you don't you shouldn't be having to do Cocaine in the morning and some sort of painkiller at night to go to sleep because and you know you're drinking whatever every single night. That no one should really be you know that's not a good good life for anyone in any line of line of business. And we've all we've all suffered through uh, you know Macho man Randy Savage in the next match. Like, I he was only in his 50s when he passed away I, I believe or maybe early 60s um, but a young man still. And we've all we've all we've all suffered with you know heroes of ours growing up dying young because of the lifestyle that kind of this industry made acceptable um, and I think that it's much better now in terms of the schedule with both both major US companies is better um, and hopefully you know in 10, in 10 or 15 years time or 20 years time a lot of these guys are still going to be around having a good good quality of life which um, you know unfortunately the two generations before just didn't have got very deep isn't it Quite deep. It has. Yes. someone say like a dick joke or something because it's all, it's all
2: got a bit I uh... won't say a dick joke but we will go to um <clears throat> another Gene Oakland backstage segment because after the Ric Flair bit we've got uh, Savage and Elizabeth they they were talking for a while this is before the match itself where Elizabeth turned on Savage and Savage says that the bottom line is mega powers so Savage Hogan and Elizabeth are together again that's the big takeaway from the promo that he does then we have probably one of the more bizarre moments of the, the whole show and it might be might it down is a little bit um, uh, subtle but it, it was, what well, I don't know what was going on here, so basically we come back into the commentators we've got Bobby Heenan and we've got uh, Dusty Rhodes and, uh, and and we've got Tony Schiavone, but Bobby Heenan's got his back to the camera, uh, almost as if he isn't aware that they've gone to show the commentators, and Tony Schiavone used to kind of nudge him and tell, uh, and t- tell <laughs> him to turn around, he even points towards the camera and Bobby kind of slowly turns around and they don't mention it, it's not like they make a thing of it whatsoever, like I thought this was just them doing a little bit of a funny thing, which he would occasionally do. But no, they didn't make anything of it. It was almost like Heenan completely missed his cue <laughs> and now I had to turn around all of a sudden. They they're not talking about anything particularly interesting, but I just found that a very kind of curious moment.
1: Mm. I wonder if he I wonder if Heenan if it was a bit, I wonder. I, I don't remember seeing it but I wonder if Heen because he I didn't I didn't pay super uh, attention to the commentary in terms of like making any notes, but I thought Heenan was pretty good on this on this show, and um, I think if I was watching it at the time, I think um, he'd have been one thing that would have made it somewhat more bearable. I think.
2: I think Dusty Rhodes is proof that just because you're a good promo doesn't make you a good commentator. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah, indeed.
2: <laughs> but then we get the Randy Savage Ric Flair match, which we've obviously spoken about, um, and after that match, which we didn't speak about, Iron Anderson seems to appear from nowhere don't know where he came from but it suddenly is in the ring because Hogan when Hogan comes out to save Savage from Anderson Flair, Anderson's there and I'm like where did he come from? I didn't see mm-hmm. him coming down so Hogan comes down to save Savage from Anderson Flair and it's at this moment that we hear or at least I heard, I don't know if you guys heard it uh, a smattering of Hogan sucks chants yes. or audible um, at this point point. Um, and Savage is then helped out the ring by officials so this is, uh, Savage doesn't appear to have suffered much like he's had the, the heel to the head which you Steve even said he didn't even shouldn't have been pinned by i think he might have had a couple of kicks from anderson and flair yeah, but bizarre. he now needs to be helped out of the back and apparently to hospital as a consequence of what's happened here
1: i wonder whether the crowd was booing hogan at all because hogan hit anderson with a couple of chair shots and one of them was like like a bit of horseplay like he was slapping him to give what we was talking about about flair i'll choose my words carefully but i was saying might, might slap one of your, your very close friends who consents to you doing this you might slap him on the arse a bit of a horseplay and that's that's how he slapped Anna or hit Anna out on Anderson, as <laughs> we say, with this chair. It was almost like a on the on the bum. It was just like what, what is this? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm for not uh, you know not hurting people, but then it was it was only probably 30, 45 seconds after this that the, the crowd and it was it was very audible, wasn't it, in terms of the Hogan sucks stuff and also bizarre that you're taking he's coming out, you're taking it back, he's doing an interview and he's coming back out again. That that's not good for your number one top baby face to be in a position where he's not going to get a great reaction because the crowd's already seen him.
3: I I thought that was like, you know, especially um, given what I've read about Hogan over the years, that that was typical Hogan. He came out and he's thinking, well, damn it, I still want my pop for my entrance. (laughs) So I'm going to go all the way back. You're going to play my music and I'm going to come out and the people are going to go crazy. That just seemed like a typical Hogan move to me. Mm.
2: I think the the large part of this is that this is 12 years after he started doing the Hulkamania stuff effectively when he won the WWF title in 84 from the Iron Sheik. It's old now. It's just old, you know. It it had not, like, the, the business WWF had done in the, his last 3 4 years with the company was slowly steadily declining over that period because gradually people are getting bored of Hogan he'd had then maybe a year out then come into WWE done the same thing and of course WWE's business went up because you know it's Hogan he's still the biggest star in the business even if um, even if it is just Hogan even if it's Hogan Less than he was, but by this point, that people are really now fed up. I th- I just think that's all it is. People are just have got to the end of their thing with Hulkamania, and of course, it would eventually become something that could be marketable again. Although I would argue with a company that we're f- are just far better at get- maximising the potential commercial return they get on these kinds of things in the WWF. But at this point, yeah, people were done with what Hulkamania yeah. was about, and I think that was probably for me as much as anything is the reason why there as these Hogan sucks chants so we get some more Hogan next well we get lots of Hogan next we get first of all backstage Gene Oakland again Oakland is working in overtime yeah. on this show Hogan says that the last thing he expected was Elizabeth to turn on Randy Savage he says that maybe it goes back four years when the uh, the pair split legally to your point Stephen that's what he says he then says his match with the Giant is unsanctioned but he knows that he won't have anybody guarding him but the big guy upstairs this is because Savage was supposed to be watching his back and interestingly enough in this instance instance the ww very much were adhering to their rules of the cage match in the championship match which was you had to pin your opponent or make them submit but in the main event it's escape rules um which are in WWE's world unsanctioned even though that would be the ordinary rules for a wwf cage Mm. match of the time
1: who runs away best wins Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's the exact point James made a few weeks back. It was it was argued because Tom is a big stickler for the escape rules, cage uh, cage match rules. But uh, yeah, James definitely made that point. previously. Oh no, I mean
1: I grew up on the um, escape the cage, but I always I wouldn't have minded to escape the cage so much if you couldn't go through the door. But the door is an absolute joke because you could yeah. literally go through that. So you literally, it's just it's just the the whole disbelief stuff is is just gone with that. I guess WBF did that so they could beat the heel in the 70s and not have him pinned, I suppose.
2: So it is time for the main event, Hulk Hogan versus the Giant. Uh, It's a 15-minute contest. And this one ends when Hogan hits the big boot and a slam and the leg drop three times. Hogan then tries to escape, but the giant recovers. They're on the top rope together and they're sort of hitting each other back and forth, but Hogan knocks giant down and then climbs over the top and drops to the floor to win the match. There is then some post-match afters, which includes Hogan being hit by Kevin Sullivan with a chair, but Hogan not feeling it. He then puts Sullivan in the ring and the Dungeons of Doom arrive, but Hogan effectively battles them all off with his steel chair. And then Loch Ness, old giant haystacks himself arrives um, but the dungeon of doom hold him back and don't allow him to get into a fight with hogan and the, ma- the show ends with hogan posing and celebrating his victory matt what did you think of this undeniable classic in the main event
3: <laughs> for me th- this was fascinating to watch in-, in terms of a match you know the match quality okay eh, not really the best thing you'll ever see i mean not the worst i mean i have definitely seen worse matches than this but it, it was fascinating to to watch the and, and you know the sort of hogan formula you know if you will and, and just see how he does his thing you know and when he does his comebacks and all that i mean as he was getting towards the end i was thinking well there's no doubt he's winning i mean i, I didn't know 100% what the results were in advance but i was thinking there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that hogan's gonna win probably you know give him the leg drop and then escape or whatever it was a nice little surprise that the fact that you know we had to do 3 and then giant went up and then you know, um that that's when the finish came, so that was cool. The post match I thought was absolutely hilarious. Because I, I tried to put it into a modern context and just thought, imagine how batshit crazy people would go if Roman Reigns did this today. You know, if pretty much a good, I don't know, say a good ten people from the roster come out to, you know, to help and he just beats the shit out of them with Superman punches left and right. Oh my god, people would lose their minds over it. So to see Hogan do it, I just thought was hilarious. And, you know, again, going back to what I said earlier about knowing what Hogan was like at the time, he was probably laughing his head off as he was thinking, yeah, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to beat the shit out of everyone and have my hand raised at the end. <laughs> Classic.
1: And that's exactly what he got, is not it? I mean, yeah, the, the post-match was unbelievable. Literally poor guys are <laughs> standing there waiting for Hogan to slowly beat them up, basically. Um <laughs> But my favourite moment of the whole match was the bear hug spot that went on about three minutes. And in my mind, I was playing Christopher's Lady in Red. <laughs> while they were uh, and I was imagining they were having like a little romantic dance just to get me through it but even that when I, when I got to about the second verse that started wearing off and I didn't, didn't really enjoy it I mean also that, another interesting thing is Hogan blatantly bladed the giant here during um, during his comeback um, though I don't think he did a particularly good job because there wasn't a lot of blood but yeah I just think in terms of selling, like, I know the, the Hulk up spot no reaction and that must have been a big blow to his ego and I wonder whether this was one of the you know one of the things that ultimately to his you know his him him giving the go ahead to turn later this year but yeah it's just a bit sad and like he kicks out of um or he, he sits up on the choke slam and the giant sits up after three leg jobs. it's just like really i mean you just killed each other's finisher there i, I don't know I, ju- I just thought this was um until giant haystacks came out i thought this was pretty <laughs> shocking uh, giant haystacks i think had five or six matches in wcw as well so i think he might have had some health problems um around around that run but yeah just um yeah not not the best
2: yeah yeah, uh, just to give you a bit of a flavour of what Stub is about. So they even say at one point in commentary, someone says that um, the giant, oh, I think it's, no, it's Michael Buffer, I think, says it in the announcing when he's announcing the main event that the giant literally came back from the dead and that is in reference to the fact that on his first pay-per-view appearance when he won the world championship earlier that day he'd been thrown off the top of a building a multi-story building so just to give you kind of an idea a flavour of what WWE was about in Hogan's main event stuff at this time it was I mean it was a bit stupid and that's kind of magnified by who his main enemies are at this point the Dungeon of Doom which is effectively all of the bad guys and some of the good guys from his WWF days, resurrected into ridiculous characters and stalking him from afar. So you've got Brutus Beefcake dressed up as the Zodiac, you've got Meng and the Barbarian, you've got Earthquake who is Shark. You've you've even got uh, I think Hugh Morris. I know he wasn't a former WWF guy, but he's there as well at some point. I don't know why. I don't know why he was considered a sort of demon of the <laughs> Dungeon of Doom. And Hogan's piled through all of these people already in the previous sort of six to nine months, and that's why they didn't think twice about having him beat all of these chumps. Up here in this mm. in this segment, but again, I go back to this roster. The fact that they kind of like they've burned through everyone, including now the giant, this really impressive-looking massive guy. They've burned through all these m- mega monster hills to the point where they've resorted to deciding to bring in ancient giant haystacks into WCW for a run. And at the same time, I think in the next week or two they bring in Zeus from back from yeah. the dead for a couple of, for a couple of weeks because again they need more just random big men who could pose a threat to Hulk Hogan. They basically took it to the zenith that they could possibly take it. There was nothing left to do other than to have him face 50 guys at once. There was just nothing. You know, it just got to that kind of ridiculous extent. And this match is, it's okay. I mean, I'm never someone who, I don't write off matches easily, as you've probably told from some of the matches I quite liked here. This wasn't even average. It was below average. But it, it did have some merit. I thought there was, it was just interesting to see, you know, what you said, Matt, was interesting, because because it wasn't really even here this isn't what i would consider hogan's main thing or his, his his formula because it goes beyond that it kind of lacks the restraint that hogan's formula had and here they've just gone into super power mode basically almost in a in an effort to still protect the giant a bit they've had him take three leg drops and still get up and it just goes beyond a little bit hell you know it's it's all part of the fun that is wcw this this <clears> kind of stuff but i just find it incredible credible that here you've got Giant haystacks. Who, you know, must. I don't know how old he was, but he must be pretty old by this stage. In his I think life. he's late
1: forties. I think.
2: But um, he looks. He looks like he's fifty-seven or something. Yeah. Like um, yeah. And you know, he, he was never he was never very exciting in the first place Uh, and then to have him here as potentially Hogan's next big opponent is just and they've called him Loch Ness I mean fucking hell
1: I know it was bad Uh, he was 50 or 51 um so yeah he was actually only um he died at the end of 1998 so he wasn't around too much I think that was it I think he I think his health problems were discovered fairly soon into his WCW run that actually only lasted seven matches I think his debut was uh, I mean I might I might have got to go and watch this Jim Duggan versus Loch Ness WCW oh. main event no contest (laughs)
2: No, I didn't even give him the win.
1: No. He had two matches on Nitro, one against Alex Wright, who he beat, and then he lost by count-out to Lex Luger in 13 seconds on the 18th of March. And actually, he had a pay-per-view match against the Giant at Uncensored 96. Yeah, wow.
2: I mean, that's what I'm saying. They need... Talent. That's yeah. what they need. They need some talent. They haven't got any talent. And uh, they're resorting to these kinds of things, these kind of really, really ultra short-term solutions to, to fill in the roster. And I think that's why they held Loch Ness back here, is that they're, they're thinking, we don't want anyone to see what this guy can do, because... <laughs> If we're going to line him up for a match with Hogan, people cannot see what the action is going to be like between these two before <laughs> we sell the show. So I think that's why they're holding it back here. Anyway, that's all of the show. Matt, let's start with your overall thoughts, your square out of 10. I don't think you've given us either your MVP or a match of the night. So uh, run it down for us.
3: OK, so score for the show for I've gone with four out of 10 for the show. Was surprisingly torn, high given what you said I was torn between 3 or 4 I didn't want to be too harsh so I decided to go with a 4 match of the night I'm gone with the, uh, the do you know I've gone with the cage match between Flay uh, and Savage um, I actually thought that wasn't too bad so I, I quite enjoyed that and my MVP of the night and it, this is somebody that you just reminded me of and I totally forgot to talk about and this is completely left field but it's The ring announcer that they had, Michael Buffer, because not only is he just one of the best damn ring announcers in the world, but I don't... I mean, for me personally, I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, but I felt he had the biggest pop of the night for Let's Get Ready to Rumble.
1: Big time. And he got it twice. He got it even the second time as
3: well. Yeah, exactly. And if, you know, if you're, you know, your guest ring announcer is getting more of a pop than, you know, you guys on your show, what does that say? You know, so... Yeah, Michael Buffer, and uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit of bias because I'm not sure if you know, see, but I'm a big MMA fan. So Bruce Buffer, for me, the UFC, you know, ring announcer is one of the best ever. But
1: yeah, big time. You know, the
3: the Buffer brothers love
1: them. I still shout it's time. Uh, I used to be more into UFC now but I've probably, probably watched sort of three or four a year. but every time I see him I still shout it's time which uh, I feel always feel a little bit embarrassed about afterwards when I'm just sat at home by myself but there we go. <laughs> match the night, Johnny B. Bad versus uh, D.P. I was thinking about Johnny B. Bad for, for MVP but I'm actually going Elizabeth Shoe for MVP um, <laughs> given the half killed match of Maroney Savage. I thought this was only slightly better than Armageddon 99 the one that I was on before but again by, by by a small amount, I think I gave that one out of 10. I'm giving this two out of 10, and I think that's being generous. I thought this was a pretty, I just can't imagine watching this at the time and thinking this was anything other than terrible. Um, and <laughs> I know, and I, I really like your point about, and um, I can't remember what show it was on, I was listening to, but uh, the AWA one recently around no one was thinking that you know someone's going to watch this. I actually stole that on my show last, the one that came out good, yesterday, good. So, yeah, stolen. Good. Um, but no one's thinking oh this is going to be watched in the future I think there's an element of that with, with WWE now as you said but I think I would hated this 15 year old in 1986 um, and I just think yeah very very poor wrestling show and, I, and I, my final line is I just can't believe how much absolutely shit wrestling exists in the annals of time um, and this is just another one on the par isn't it basically and
3: that's just jolly be bad <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I mean as I said I'm really surprised by you Matt because if this is a four you, you've really got not a lot of scope to go Yeah, you know, given how bad Bad you thought this show was and I don't necessarily agree with that but you know you really haven't got much scope to go worse I'm
3: a generous person
2: what can I say you are indeed um I'm actually giving this a five so wow. I'm, I'm yeah I'm way, way away from you guys it's funny what you say Stephen. I think if I had watched this at the time I would have hated it but I liked it more now. And I think maybe it's just one of the big problems I got with wrestling, as we've already discussed, is just a lack of work on characters and continuity and consistency on characters. And I just was so embroiled and so kind of interested in that Lex Luger Sting thing. I liked both the tag matches. I liked the opener i didn't you know i didn't think it was great but i thought it was fine i liked savage versus flare and i also thought johnny B. bad versus ddp was a really excellent match like it will Mm. go on my recommended Matches list I really thought it was very good. So for me, there was enough general quality here to not hate it. Now the main event was terrible and brought probably brought it down a notch. If I'm honest, if the main event had been I don't know the same quality as Savage Flair, I might have given this a six overall. But for me, that was really bad. And so I quite enjoyed it. But I I am finding that these WCW shows just hold a little something that I don't can't put my finger on. But I think it's more just just the the novelty of seeing these shows now. So far, from so far ago, and watching how some of the people evolve, some where the rest, some of these guys have come from, what they did, and and I said, just seeing this roster, I think given who they've got on the roster, they get the most out of them here. I don't think there's much more they can do because there's nothing fresh in the main event, and there's nobody really in the mid card by this point that was ready to step up or even close to stepping up. So, yeah, I I thought it was a decent little show. So that is everything we've got through the whole lot today. I don't think I've got anything left on my. uh, Kind of agenda of things to talk about so all that's left for me to do is first of all thank you matt for joining us today thank you very much for having me pleasure as always and Stephen, also thank you for your contributions as well
1: thank you very much um can i ask whenever i'm, I'm very up for doing this whenever you whenever you'd like me to but could you please ask me to come on a slightly better show than the last two <laughs> maybe a bit of uh 2018 uh 2018 2017 new japan or something though that <laughs> be your first ever new
2: japan review so last year we obviously did obviously obviously WWE and, and WCW and we did some ECW and we did AEW and we did AWA right at the end of the year uh I think this year we might introduce one new promotion ah, to that okay but I don't think it's going to be New Japan oh, right. um I, you should I just...
1: pick a New Japan show with Japanese commentary because you wouldn't have to do any uh, barely any notes <laughs> and that's the sort of appeal that I, as, a, as a fellow podcaster that's the sort of show that appeals to me because it, it means less work
2: so <laughs> <laughs> I think um I think the yeah I w- we may do it one day but I don't think that's going to be this year. But okay. to be honest, when it comes to quality, it really is a crapshoot because yeah, genuinely yeah, yeah. as i said about on the wcw sin show i'd forgotten when i put the schedule together i'd forgotten it was the fucking show that sid broke his leg and a minute i realized that i was like i don't want to watch this show yeah, <laughs> i really exactly. don't want to watch it and i think this, so, on
1: this wcw stuff i just haven't got a clue you could have picked a show from 95 that could have been really good or '96 yeah. could be really good or, or not so good so yeah, I, as i said at the start i was up for this when i when the when the credits were going but yeah, it wasn't. It was a bit of a poo in the end, wasn't
2: it? Well, it's like, you know, I said when we did the '94 Spring Stampede show, that was a really good show. I thought it was a great show. But mm. if we'd have picked one from later in the year in '94, it would have been a completely different company because Hogan was yeah, in, yeah. Duggan was in, and all that stuff. So it really is a crapshoot. So, you know, we w- hopefully the next time you're on, you'll get lucky and we'll, have, uh, we'll give you a better WrestleMania <laughs> a better <status>. 17. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll all be uh, everyone will be scrabbling to be involved on that one yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yes this has been the random wrestling review we'll be back again next week but until then take care